The WTF Forum is a decentralized broadcast network with no governing body of any kind and is produced and distributed by a loosely affiliated, ever-growing network of rogue, independent content creators. This forum does not, will not, and shall not have any one location, RSS feed, platform, or channel, but shall be shared and multiplied as nature dictates. WTF Forum. The hosts do not give financial, legal, medical, or any kind of advice. Opinions are their own. This broadcast contains foul language and dangerous ideas. If you need a trigger warning, you are in the wrong place. Now enjoy the show. What the fuck is up, y'all? How we doing? How we doing? It is December 17th, at least on this side of the globe. I suppose we have differing opinions, as always, but I am Mike the Polymath, Easy Peasy Podcast, and I will pass it to Stella Q, who is one day in the future. I am one day in the future, but I'm never one day ahead. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> Always good to be here with my pod mates. Good to see you guys. How are you going, Ashley? Hello. It's good to see you too. Happy to be here with y'all. It is that uh, crazy time of year, you know, heading into the holidays and the new year and all that stuff. But um, glad to be here. And as always, very curious to see what the fuck Mike has come up with for us to talk about <laughs> i've got i've got some stuff i've got material uh thank god because what we lack in guests slash contributors uh slash co-hosts we make up for in material we'll be all right it's a small group for now uh we may have one or two more join we shall see but uh you know i thought we'd get a little funny with uh what exactly apologies let me silence my phone um what exactly makes up the the basic question of what is alive and that's i mean that's a very broad question but i wonder you know for a starters whether or not the two of you are familiar with tulip mania have you heard of tulip mania not i no, uh, the only thing that I can think of with tulip mania is when a whole bunch of tourists go to the Netherlands for the blooming of the tulips. That's my best guess. Well, you're on the right track. Um, tulip Something to mania, do with Dutch people. Yeah, yeah. It it it's all about the nether the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch. They they exhibited a form of mass psychosis uh what you might call mass hysteria or at least in hindsight that's kind of what it looked like they were crazy for tulips for a time like mad 
Okay. So was there a reason? What is the association with the tulip? Well, I think this is, um, I guess I'll, I'll spoil the beans just a little bit. I think what we're really talking about here is currency. And we're going to work our okay. way up, up to that. But currency, this is um, one form of, of currency, tulip bulbs. Huh? And for a time, they were the, the hot ticket item, at least in the Netherlands. Let me uh let me just educate y'all. I'm glad you don't know too much about uh this topic because I think it's fun. Um like I said, it it's one form of mass hysteria, but we can learn a lot from it. Recently, it's not hard to come across someone talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But before Bitcoin entered the public conversation in late 2017, there was a lot of discussion about whether or not it could be considered an economic bubble. Cryptocurrency largely flew under the radar for years until a sudden rise in market value propelled it into the public eye. But Bitcoin and Dogecoin have nothing on the bizarre tulip mania that engulfed Europe in the 1630s. Today, we're exploring how tulips became the Bitcoin of the 1600s. But before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the Weird History channel. Oh, and if that's not enough, leave a comment and let us know what strange topics you would like to hear about next. Okay, let's tiptoe through these tulips. <laughs> I had that song in my brain. 17th century was a thriving internet. I thought I thought about starting with the... Uh, Tiny the Teams. Tiny, tiny Tim. Tiny Tim, yeah. I thought about starting with that song. Cause, cause <laughs> tiny Tim, through yeah, the tulips. Yeah, that song by itself is a what the fuck. Uh, oh, totally. But I he almost just, I, I almost didn't want to shock our eardrums. You know? <laughs> like I just did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, Tiny Tim. I remember uh, stumbling across that way back when, early days of YouTube, That's and ancient. being like, what the fuck is up with that dude? <laughs> yeah uh gosh that must have been the 60s i think probably well very yeah. early 70s 70s black and white, I, black I and white I think. Mm. yeah yeah well you know maybe for fun later on we'll dive into tiny tim but for, for now we'll stick with tulips <laughs> not literally all right i'll play on national port Largely thanks to the spice trade, wealthy merchants were drawn to the city, like spice merchants looking for some quick cash. It's true what they say. The spice extends life. The spice expands consciousness. That's the rock spice. Wealthy merchants put down roots in the city. They like to put on airs, too, living in opulent mansions surrounded by flowers. Their favorite flower, the humble tulip, was considered exotic during the period. Much like the modern day, rich people assigned crazy value to the flowers, and they began to build up wealth. Tulips eventually became as valuable as diamonds. It reached a disgusting height when, in 1636, a single Semper Augustus tulip bulb was worth 150 florins. That's roughly $25,000 if you're calculating things in today's money. That's 10 times what a skilled craftsman made during the period. Shelling out 25k for a flower seems insane, but it gets even stranger than that. Few people would ever see the tulip blossom into a flower. They just pass the bulb around, each owner hoping to make a bigger profit than the last. Huh, that sounds familiar. But as the craze went on, prices fluctuated. Speaking of changing values. 
When you're hoarding and trading tulips for financial gain, there's nothing better than something new coming along to change the entire game. Multicolored flowers with streaks of contrasting colors did just that. Due to a virus that damaged the pigmentation inside the flower's bulb, the petals developed unique colors, and tulip traders went nuts for them. Years later, scientists discovered the cause to be tulip-breaking virus, but the rich folks just thought they were cool. Going crazy for diseased tulips seems like something straight out of a farce, but sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. Tulips became a fad, with whole flowers selling for up to 10,000 guilders, as at the height of the craze. Now that's an economic bubble waiting to burst. Tulips nearly ruined Holland's economy, which is crazy when you consider they're not actually from there at all. When you think of the Dutch, pop culture tends to focus on wooden clogs and windmills. But there's a much more fascinating and rich cultural history behind the Netherlands that essentially gets overlooked. Tulips are a big part of that. Tulips and other flowers are strongly associated with the Netherlands. Tulips, in particular, adorn Dutch streets. It's virtually impossible to walk down the road in Amsterdam without encountering that pretty-looking flower. But this country's national flower did not originate there. The floral icon may have originated in what's now modern Kazakhstan. Whoa, whoa, wait, whoa. Okay, might as well pause there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like we're entering some copyright material there. <laughs> yeah, wah, wah, wee, wah. You want a tulip? Yeah. Nice so, for my wife. So, you know, as as the drizzle pointed out in the comments, uh, mass hysteria is real. Um, you know, the funny thing to me, actually, like I've thought about tulip mania and I've looked into it a fair amount, but I hadn't really pointed out or realized the influence that apparently this virus had, you know, so with tulips, as far as I understand it as a gardener, like there are varieties that are very stable, very consistent. You can breed them with ease. And then there are these like hybrid varieties. And this is kind of true with a lot of different plants that like the hybrid varieties are hard to maintain. You have to continually breed two heirloom varieties to achieve a hybrid. So hmm. you can't you can't just keep the hybrid going. You have to keep the heirlooms and breed them predictably to produce these hybrids. And apparently there was this virus in the mix um, with the tulips, which I find interesting. Like it's what produced these variegated tulip colors, these mm -hmm. striped tulips. Um, so the influence of, of viruses sticks out to me, which is something I've, I feel like I've learned a lot about recently where I almost think that viruses are a mechanism for evolution more than death or destruction. Well, you know, what I, you know what I mean? I'd like to know, did that virus come from the bat in the wet market? Or... Yeah, well, yeah, different different type of virus. Oh, it, okay. You know, not, not like a man-made, uh, artificially influenced virus. But or like, was it? Well, I believe it was personally, but like I, I think viruses naturally can serve a positive function. We start fucking with them and we're asking for trouble. 
but you know, I know some people don't even think they exist. I tend to think they exist. Well, um, that's what I was going to chime in on. I yeah. mean, as far as how deep could you even go down the rabbit hole on that particular subject of viruses and tulips and the evolution of this particular strain? Probably pretty deep. And I have the exact same questions because I, because after everything that happened over the last four years, I do question the existence of viruses in whatever we were told in the traditional form. However, I, so Drizzle made a good point. He said, sounds like hybrids are genetically unstable. I think something like that is a possibility. And the other thing I mean, I don't know that this is something that we really could answer here, but basically my thought is how could we possibly know that it was actually a virus that caused it? Or if it was a factor, like what he's saying, that it just is the plant being unstable in that current form. Like uh, this is maybe perhaps some sort of indicator that that plant sh could not reproduce or something like that. And I'll give you an example in the animal family. So in dachshunds, there is a pattern called dapple. And in other breeds, it may be called like blue merle or something like that. But in dachshunds, it's known as the dapple pattern, which means that you have like splotches. And these, and specifically in this case is the dachshund is like black with gray splotches and it may be some white, but it should not actually have white on it because the indicator, like the, the presence of the white means that that dog has what is referred to as double dapple genes and the same genes that provide the dapple look. If you have two, if it's coming from both sides can predispose the dog to have deafness and blindness and the white patches. So I wonder even if it was something like that, like what Drizzle was saying, meaning that it just wasn't a hardy, as hardy of a plant or something like that. But I don't, my apologies. I don't think your whole point was to get into like whether viruses no, no. are real or. or well, no, no, it but... kind of is. It kind of isn't. Okay. You know, I will make my case as that I believe viruses are real and that they serve an evolutionary function. And that it's kind of a fundamental question of like, what is the role of the virus? But I think um, there might also be truth to the fact that like you only get sick from a virus. Like, I think the truth of, a, of the terrain theory kind of thinking is that a healthy body isn't all that affected by a pathogen. And like pathogens... You know, I've made the argument many times there's only three types of relationships in the natural world, you know, parasitic, predatory, or mutualistic. And perhaps like a relationship that should be mutualistic can become parasitic when dealing with a unhealthy host, right? Like I think these viruses actually are designed, if you will, by God or nature or what have you, to be a mechanism for increased immunity, increased fitness, 
evolutionarily? It's about survival of the species. So yes, quite possibly. And mm-hmm. I didn't quite catch in that video, thinking back on it, when that virus supposedly happened. Was that like the 17th century or something? Or was it later, 18th, 19th? I think uh, we're talking 1600s. That's what it sounded like, yeah. yeah. That's sort of sort of my memory. Um, I was just wondering, you know, whether that was something to do with some sort of climactic climatic condition that happened at the time it would be interesting to go back into the really old books and see you know what was happening in that century sort of what if whether there whether there were any um because there were some fairly big cataclysms that happened throughout the ages which on this subject probably had a lot to do with certain changes in some of the species it would be interesting to look back at it if you could possibly correlate events Well, I kind of want to carry on with these clips because they are thought provoking and I've got quite a few of them. I'm not going to play this whole thing, but I'm going to play another few minutes um, because it gets more into this this virus that the tulips became affected by. And what I found interesting to ponder, you know, I guess I'll, I'll front load this this second section by saying it's interesting to think that a virus could exacerbate if not be the source of an economic bubble Hmm. i think you see what i'm getting at here yes that yes like was it contrived Mm -hmm. well let's not not forget let's not not necessarily not necessarily that this one was contrived but the end result is that a a virus had a massive influence on a nation's economy. Correct. Yes, but and also don't forget that um, some of these changes that have happened have been based on science. Now, what's to say that there wasn't some scientific horticulturist back then who went to the head guy, king, whoever, rich person, and mm-hmm. said, hey, I can manipulate this stuff, you know. Let's use it to our advantage. Um, are you in? You know, that kind of thing. And let's not forget that virus is Latin for venom. Hmm. And I was going to say, uh, that's a great point because you, I don't think you can underestimate the power of people with a lot of resources or whether the resource is going to take the form of a ton of knowledge because knowledge is power. We know that, but if you have someone with a ton of, a ton of knowledge working for you and you have the financial resources, then there certainly is the possibility of collaboration to further manipulate a market to your benefit. So I do think that that is there. And then based on what you said here, if this happened organically, then certainly it would be setting a precedent for the predator class and people who are very knowledgeable of the true history of humans to learn from and repeat at scale throughout whatever timeline they happen to be messing with, you know? So that's yeah. very interesting. I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head right there, Ashley. Like with this tulip mania thing, my my feeling and my understanding of horticulture tells me that this was not by any means like on purpose, the uh introduction of this of this virus. And I only say that because I don't really think we were at that level of understanding yet, but I think with hindsight, with, with added like understanding of how these mechanisms commingled, 
uh, you could take the lesson of Tulip Mania and apply it towards a new like disruption in the ecosystem. I'm trying to make the the e- ecological argument here of of how you can maybe at, at the very least capitalize on a virus, if not use it like and design it for your own ends. Well, also sort of I think what Ashley was kind of alluding to as well is, um, <clears throat> you know, people who have all these resources and money and that at their hands, you think about nobility, et cetera, back then, um, you know, the peasants, they would do anything to set themselves up in a better life, um, to set their families up, their generations. So, you know, if you had a skill, I suppose, this is purely speculation on my uneducated behalf, but if I had a skill and I was living back then in those treacherous, horrible conditions, I'd be doing everything I possibly could to try to hone that skill and take it to the right people who could then possibly set me up in a better life. Um, now, people like the nobilities, et cetera, they've, they've got everything at their disposal. You know, people are coming to them all the time trying to get up, you know, get get a better life or, you know, have a good name or, you know, get set up or be the king's, you know, assistant or what have you. Um, so I don't think it's actually beyond the realms of possibility at all that it could have been contrived or at least, as you, I guess you're saying, is um, recognised and used very early in the piece. Yeah. Because I don't think people, I mean, like, you know, the first, the very first horticultural thing was maize, right? And then that was, I don't know, cross bred, what have you, to get stronger strains. I mean, that was thousands of years ago. So I think, that we probably did have the know-how back a few centuries ago to do well, this stuff. So, 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 selective breeding and genetic manipulation are two different, but but similar. Sort things. of different. Well, but it's similar. still manipulation, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and we've had a pretty sophisticated understanding of how to cross-pollinate, how to cross-breed varieties of of plants to achieve a desired result but the use of viral genetic manipulation as far as we know is relatively new i highly doubt they were doing this in the 1600s but i think that they learned some lessons about it back then you know like that if i if i can let me play this on for a minute and we can we can keep talking and then i want to i i've got another video called the irony of viruses and this is kind of my my point that they're not always bad but for the sake of horticulture and my geekiness about plants the fact that a virus made these tulips so damn beautiful that it was an evolutionary advantage is worth noting start Whoa, whoa, wait, wah. Whoa, whoa, wait, wah. Enterprising Dutch traders brought bulbs home from their travels, never realizing diseased tulips would eventually break the economy. And about those diseased tulips. While the multicolored flowers were uniquely appealing, it turned out the bulbs were much more valuable. Considered durable goods, the bulb's value grew exponentially. Sure, tulips do take years to grow from a bulb, but that didn't matter. The bulbs were sturdy and didn't suffer damage as folks passed them around elite circles. 
On the other hand, trading the actual flowers would likely have slowed things down. The flowers were light and delicate, but the bulbs were sturdy and could take some punishment as they were traded around. On the note of crazy trades, at the height of the tulip mania bubble, those diseased tulips commanded some insane prices. They went for even more if the colors resembled a candy cane pattern. Known better as a Switzer pattern, it was a rare specimen indeed. Santa Claus would be proud. Even during the 1600s, the housing market was rough. One merchant was so desperate to obtain the diseased tulips that he traded his house for 10 bulbs. Others became homeless when the bubble popped only one year later. Other families fell into a nightmare of financial ruin. The fallout from the tulip mania greatly affected the Dutch moral consciousness. A saying coined sometime after the mania rings true to this day. Do not seek inconsistent wealth before honor. The inconsistent wealth, in this case, is the tulips with the ever-changing values. Well okay. I that's that's all we needed from that video because the point is um inconsistent genetics produce inconsistent results. What they want is consistent genetics. You know what I what I found so fascinating about working in a historic orchard, we were protecting 200-year-old genetics. Because a yellow delicious or a golden delicious or a red delicious or a, you know, there's there's dozens of different types of apples and pears and peaches and plums. And they were bred selectively for certain traits. And we've lost a huge portion of those traits. And, you know, it's kind of a sad state of affairs where what they bred for was storage and shipability and we've lost flavor and nutrition you know some estimates say we've lost like 70 to 80 percent of our fruit and vegetable genetics in the last hundred years and so again i guess what i'm arguing is just the power of if you can control the genetics you control the ecosystem the economy all of it in in this case i was thinking about it too because it's it's so interesting how this could be applied to bitcoin it could be applied to anything else that went as currency it could apply to people right when we're talking about um genetics they are trying to control the genetics of humans as well in a lot of different ways, whether that is preserving their own particular genetics, but that also has costs, interestingly enough, in humans, right? If you want to preserve certain specific genetics and lineage, and that means that you're willing to inbreed to do so, then you potentially are going to be getting some very unpredictable, yet not selectively productive traits, right? So interesting in that way, interesting in the other ways of genetics, how they're trying to modify, you know, genetically modified food, genetically modified animals, genetically modified humans, um, mRNA vaccination that is totally safe and effective and in no way possible affects your personal DNA, your DNA. So I think that part of it's interesting. 
Then the other part is that as you're saying, we have lost um, the this genetic variation in fruit. It also makes me think of what we have lost in information as our generation, right? And what information has been occulted and hidden from us all these many thousands of years now by the people with circle back to even what Stella was saying, the people with the money and the resources, the money and the knowledge. Yeah. I'm just looking up that um, place in Belgium, Brussels. Yeah. Belgium, Uh, the big seed bank there. Mm. That's, um, Mm. that's an interesting kind of place. I'm in there. It's a great idea. I just don't know who's going to have access to it in the future. Well, I, I do. That was a rhetorical statement. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting kind of place. Well, part of me want, wonders if I wouldn't be wise to simplify my business model and instead of trying to build gardens, simply get into the business of genetics, i.e. seeds and starts. I don't selling, think it's a bad idea to selling, diversify. Yeah, well, and actually, yeah, they're they're mutually beneficial um, business models. But selling the seeds and selling the cuttings, the the clones. I mean, that's the thing. We we had a pretty good bank of genetic material to play with when it came to our food supply a hundred, two hundred years ago. We have severely limited ourselves recently. And if we lose any more, we're in serious trouble. But like knowing how to actually produce these crops, it's so critical. And like the reason why, you know, I'm glad one of you brought up corn, right? Maize, like a corn kernel is a pretty shippable and storable commodity and it serves very well as currency as a result catch my drift like the 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 corn kernel is very similar to you know a a genetically predictable seed or a coin or this or that you know i i don't know again like there's there's a lot to this but i to me like genetics are currency yep and i guess those who haven't been genetically altered like most of us um in the future will be much sought after i've I've already read articles about unvaccinated semen being sought after (laughs) Um, (laughs) i guess you'd have to yeah i mean you'd have to go through a fairly rigmarole type uh you know of testing to prove that that you aren't vaccinated which i don't know that would ever happen because then they'd have to admit that oh yeah there is nanobots because you don't have any (laughs) so i don't know if that's ever going to happen that's a good question i wonder if if because the blip that i saw said genius unvaccinated genius semen (laughs) um so maybe if these are like the creme de la creme of artificial insemination maybe they have enough private resources to do their own in-house testing so it wouldn't as long as they don't spill the beans then it wouldn't necessarily hurt big harma 
but how but they would have to know what to look for just like what you said they exactly. there would have to be obvious very obvious indicators one way or the other um and even by saying that we that we have this product you may if you could really verify it then you may be putting yourself at risk because it would mean that you could tell a difference and they don't want you mm. to know that that's right even though many of the rogue i suppose for want of a better term medicos and doctors have pointed out plenty of supposed alleged um, microscopic bits of footage that show certain things but again we have to take their word for it as well don't we we Just do be, and you know, and we would advocate. also have to bank on the fact that it presented itself in that way every single time um, so yes. some of the things, for example, that they're looking for is what would be associated when somebody was injured or died from it. And one of the things that comes to mind is those rubbery clots. But mm -hmm. then, so if you were looking for, um, like elevated clotting and things like that, that would be under the assumption that every single person is presenting in the same, is having the same symptoms, which I don't think would be the case because the injury has been so varied, right? To sudden death, to myocarditis, endocarditis, pericarditis, to blood clots, neurological and, and not, damage. Not only that, but it is alleged that there are many different batches. So yeah. there's, you know, that's where the big, huge laboratory laboratory experiment has come in is because they yeah. know where the batches have gone and they know what to look for in different parts of the population, whereas exactly. we don't. And the other, the other, I mean, there's a million variables we could, yes. we could spurg out people being individuals. for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Individual genetics, but then you also have the mixing and the matching, not only of the separate batches from one maker, but in some cases people probably had three combinations. Mixes. Mm, true of true. of different big harma companies that they got injected by so and i know like the di diff so the pfizer or excuse me the moderna injection had my understanding is quite a bit more of the mrna or mm -hmm. one of those um than pfizer and yes. so there's a ton of variation with that too mm -hmm. yeah well, and there was I'm something just... about the astrazeneca which was completely different too sorry mike well, I was just going to say, I'm going to go on the record by saying I was not the one that brought up semen or, <laughs> or vaccinations. I did not, I, you know, I'm not saying nothing about any of that, but you ladies, you ladies, uh, you know, your mind goes right to it. So I don't know. Well, I just happened to see that. <laughs> Get blip. our minds out of the syringe. Yeah. yeah. I saw that blip literally. I mean, I had seen the joke. It was a meme, right? Because people were even making their own shirts. Um, but I actually saw a headline. And uh, after Stella said something, I was like, yeah, that's that's coming into the ether at this point. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, let me let me carry us forward with this. Um, you might have a new career actually ahead of you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, it's something I've been practicing for my entire life, Stella. Well, you must be I... pretty good by now, dude. <laughs> you don't even wear glasses. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into the irony of viruses. This is only a couple minutes, so I'm going to play the whole thing. So our genome is made of DNA, the molecule of life the stuff that encodes all the instructions that make us what we are. And about 8% of that DNA comes from viruses. 
So when some viruses infect our cells, they will cut our DNA and insert a piece of their own into the gap. Those viral sequences then become copied whenever our cells copy their own genomes. So now you've got an embryo whose every cell contains viral DNA. And these sequences can then pass from one generation to the next until they become permanent part of our cells. They are fixtures of our genomes as much as any of our own genes are. This process takes millions of years. At that point, they become known as endogenous retroviruses or ERVs. So there's been a lot of debate about what ERVs or ERVs are actually doing, whether they are just passive stowaways in our genome or whether they actually contribute to the evolution of our genes. This new study from Edward Trong and colleagues found that ERVs have shaped the evolution of the human immune system. So when we sense an infection, our cells trigger this huge cascade of genes, one switching on the next, switching on the next. And that leads to an immune response that helps to fight off the infection. So you can think of this as like a massive Rube Goldberg machine. What the herbs have done is to add new components to the machine or to hook one part up with another. So you're rewiring the immune system and changing which genes get switched on at what point. We think of viruses as things that uh, make us sick, but we know that some viruses have contributed to the evolution of our immune system, the very thing that's meant to stop us from becoming sick. All right, so that, that video feels semi-incomplete. You know, it, it very briefly hints at the importance of what viruses do. What they do is they encode our DNA to produce certain proteins. And this is critically important. You know, what I'm glad to say is that all of these clips that I'm sharing are pre-COVID. So there might be some hint of truth to them. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask if you knew when this was produced, because that yep. does make a difference before yep. or during or after. I believe that one was like uh, maybe seven years ago. And I've got another one uh, that's 12 years ago. And it kind of hits more on this idea of the, the critical nature of these proteins that are produced via viral encoded DNA. I don't think it makes much difference at all that it's pre-2020 because this, all, this stuff was all going on anyway um, mm -hmm. before the actual announced climax of, you know, making things happen because we all know what it's really about. Um, I mean, I was looking at some of the syringe-free vaccine um, distribution methods only this morning. Um and some of them are, you know, they go back like 12 years, et cetera. So um, it's n absolutely nothing new as far as working on these vaccines go because it's just been announced here in Australia, you know, this the Queensland infrastructure guy announcing the big place that they're building which is going to create vaccines in Queensland so that can all be delivered really quickly in the next pandemic, like within five days or something. Um, and he's talking about syringe-free delivery. And he didn't really go into it, so that's what made me look look up. And it's like there's there's the patches which are based on 
the snake fangs. And then there's the nasal delivery. I was going to say they've had the nasal spray mm. vaccine for a long time. Yep. That's, yep. I was going to say that as well, because that that's how they would deliver um, at the very least Bordetella to dogs. What's that for? Is that for Parvo? Uh, no, Bordetella, I'm pretty sure is the one that you have to have to prevent. Basically it's kennel cough. Oh, kennel cough. So, right, okay. mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Probably another now, very unnecessary vaccine. Uh, I'm sure. I, uh, I At this point, not to spread any medical misinformation or disinformation YouTube, pure but I think pure speculation on my part that they are all bull and have been from the very beginning. I, I think that uh, Drizzle will agree with me because we had chatted about that recently, even back to the very, very beginning. But I do agree with you, Stella, that part of it doesn't matter if it was pre-COVID because a lot of the scam has been going on for a long time, like I said, since the beginning of um, a vaccination program. However, I still think there was a little bit of at least the traditional information we thought we knew before that, because even during this time, they were 1984-ing definitions. So Mm. it was like, it's been so gradual, but at least some definitions didn't get changed until COVID. That's kind of, well, I was just going to say, that's kind of my point is that like um, certain things that are now buzzwords were just words when these videos came out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the phrase like natural immunity, like he's okay to talk about natural immunity yeah. there. It was okay to talk about up until that. And then post-COVID, now all of a sudden it's a right-wing conspiracy theory. Fauci himself talked about natural immunity, if you remember, very early in the piece. Um, he talked about it. You know, if you've had COVID, yes. you don't you don't need the vaccine. And that's what he said straight out of his filthy, yeah. disgusting little mouth. Um, <clears throat> but uh, what was I going to say? Um, uh, yeah, if anybody thinks that they just sort of came up with this technology and this vaccine in a matter of months, I'm sorry, but that's uh, yeah. very, very naive. Very naive. No, no, I agree. I agree fully, uh, which is why I want to keep going with this idea of like what information was coming out well before COVID as far as the the usefulness of viruses to encode certain proteins and to influence the the genetic makeup of humans. Um, this one's you know a little bit longer, only like four minutes, uh, but very much worth watching. What's really amazing is that uh, there are a lot of these viruses in your genome. Scientists have identified about a hundred thousand elements in your genome that came from viruses. Now, to put that in perspective, um, we all have 20,000 protein-coding genes. That takes up about 1.2% of our genome. Viruses, these things, take up about 8 or 9%. So you could say you're about six times more virus than you are human, if you're so inclined. So, so we're, we're dealing with, with a time scale that, uh, that, that we carry in our own bodies that is really, you start to get into unimaginably old periods of time. I mean, I just marked an era where the Grand Canyon formed. And you have viruses that are older than that in your own genome. 
Um, this is a, this is a deeply weird con concept. I mean, that to think of our human genome having been gradually eroded, like the Grand Canyon, for millions of years by viruses. Um, now, our genomes didn't, you know, go willingly. Uh, we actually have lots of genes that seem to be specifically uh, adapted for fighting off these viruses as they try to enter the genome and then as they try to replicate. Uh, we try to put a stop to this because it can be very disruptive. I mean, if a, if a virus plops in and, this, and happens to plug itself where there's a really essential gene, there can be trouble. Um, these, a lot of retroviruses are associated with cancer. So evolution has favored defenses against these things. But that's not to say that these viruses haven't ended up being useful. Actually, mutations can essentially borrow some of the genes from viruses and use them to benefit us. Uh, and my favorite example, and really the most startling one, uh, is one that's involved with pregnancy. So uh, in, order to, um, in, in order for an a, uh, embryo, a, a mammal embryo, to develop, I should say, placental mammal embryo. Um, it has to form a placenta which attaches to the uterus. And in many groups of mammals, what happens then is that there is a layer that forms here, these sort of kind of purplish cells here. That's a layer that allows the embryo to draw in nutrients from the mother and, and to attach to the, to the uterine wall. And it's very distinctive because it's formed by cells, but then the walls between the cells break down. And so it's just sort of a, a big open kind of layer of, of cytoplasm, cell juice, basically. There's a protein that makes that happen. If you knock the gene out from mice, um, they cannot reproduce. It, 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 is, it is fatal to an embryo not to be able to form that layer with that protein. That protein comes from a virus. Actually, this, this has happened repeatedly in evolution. Different mammal lineages have actually borrowed the similar uh, viral genes to make that layer. So if it wasn't for viruses, none of us would have even been born. Okay, so you know what I found interesting was this idea, and I'd seen it in another video that was a little more technical and boring. Um, but talking about how essentially the placental mammal would never have evolved without these particular proteins. And when it comes to virally influenced protein production in the human body, I'm thinking that, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of years of evolution with these viruses is a whole lot better than, I don't know, 10 years of research at best. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's taken everything into account in the atmosphere, in the situation, um, the ecology, and changed accordingly in nature at the right time, probably one bit at a time, just like any good coder would do, um, instead of just, you know, barging in like a bull in a china shop saying, I am the science, <laughs> and just flanging at everybody. It's just crazy that anyone could even think that we could even get close to understanding, let alone manipulating nature in any way that could possibly be better than what it can do itself. And this is the problem. It's usually about mass control. It's about mass, well, look at monoculture. You know, there's a problem because – Monoculture, 
before that, it was all natural and it was um, a permaculture. You know, that was natural. That was the way the earth was, permaculture. And now people are returning <laughs> with their comments to permaculture. And it's like, well, thank God for that because that's the way it should be. Um, but it's always based on the love of money, isn't it? The love of control, power, money, whatever that seems to screw things up. And all these changes that are being made currently with the mRNA, as it stated before, this is going, This is you're not just changing yourself, man. This is going down the generations. This is changing the immune system. This is this is redefining mankind itself. Mm-hmm. Well, what a time know, we think, live in. I think um, the use of the term permaculture, even though I use it, it's like borderline unnecessary because we already have the terms horticulture and gardening in our vocabulary, which is basically the same thing as permaculture. Like agriculture literally translates to the cultivation of fields. Yeah. Yeah. Implying, so manipulation. Yeah. Implying essentially monocrops and uh, horticulture is the cultivation of plants. You know? Yeah. Well, I was, I was saying monoculture because you can you can halt a culture, which is fine, but then mm-hmm. if you're monoculture, which is what the whole industry thing is based on, that's right. that's what screwed up everything originally. Yeah, and it all went went from there, really, in one sense. Well, on that note, um, I want to keep going with this question of like how viruses kind of influence all DNA, um, and it. It's been a fundamental question of like, what are viruses for a very long time? I guess like since the virus was discovered, like a lot of people argue they are not a living entity. They are not alive. And I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, if they're not alive, what the fuck are they? But I think it's worth, uh, worth asking these questions, you know, like they're a little heady, it's a little geeky, but it's worth talking about. And Mike, if I could just say yeah. one quick thing before we move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I wanted to comment on about the guy that was presenting that information is that just something to keep in mind, and he may be a genuine person, and maybe because it was pre-COVID, it could have been as close to accurate as he felt like he could get it. But something that I always keep in mind for presentations like that is what are the narratives that are trying to be pushed at that particular time? Because I don't discount presentations like that and the people giving them as being potentially influenced to attempt to sway a narrative. And then the other thing that I was going to say is that I try to keep in mind, like, who does this person work for? If it's the Atlantic, who who owns the Atlantic, et cetera. And uh, again, I'm not arguing with any of the points. I truly don't know, but just something that I think is worth considering in the entire science virus, whatever debate, you know, basically time immemorial. Yeah, because... Because we all know this has been a long work in the making, right? This doesn't go back just a few years or even a few decades. This goes back a real, real long time. And it it's absolutely valid what Ashley just said, that they, they could be pointing the narrative long before we know what they're pointing at. I mean, obviously, that's what predictive pro- programming is about. I shouldn't say we they could. They are <laughs> doing that. Um, so, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so who funds them? That, that would be my, my guess is looking at mm -hmm. the funding because following the money is really the only way you can get most of the truth. I if don't... you can work your way through that minefield. I don't disagree. Uh, the entire narrative around viruses could be, I don't know, skewed. But Well, yeah, just these... like Edison and Tesla. Edison yeah. won because he had more money behind him, just like v VHS and Beta. Beta was actually slightly superior, but VHS won because their marketing was better. Yeah. Same you know, sort of my, thing. My general feeling, though, on viruses is that they have been observed. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that my feeling, my... My opinion is that they are, in fact, a thing. You know, there are these these strange kind of not quite alive, not quite dead things that transmit genetic information between living organisms. Like to me, this is their function. This is why I I'm willing to assume that they probably exist because I could see the need for that function in the ecosystem well okay yeah sure that's a really valid point um i i don't really feel like i can even sort of contribute much to this because i'm not medically minded but mm -hmm. when i have heard the breakdowns of the arguments between say beauchamp and um pasteur uh that's a difficult one i mean there's a reason that it's a difficult topic because there's no real evidence to support either side and when you start looking at the breakdowns of what is supposedly the evidence, it actually really starts to make sense. Again, I'm not medically minded, but when when someone who knows what they're talking about can point out um, the fallibilities in a lot of the studies that have proven viruses and proven this and that, you'll find somewhere along the line there's a break in the chain of reliability of those tests whether it was something that was i don't know um mimicked or imitated or synthesized or taken from something else or whatever it was it's sort of like ah there's, there's that bit and that's the bit where you can't prove a thing because of that you know what i'm saying like there's many many valid things but unless you're a you know a chemist or a bloody doctor yourself i suppose you know there's a small amount of people that can really understand it and then there's even smaller amount of people who are willing to speak out about it well, I will say there's something very um, unnatural looking about these viruses. When you get them under a, a microscope, they don't look natural. Kind of like very, space. They're very foreign looking. They're very foreign looking. Well, I and I will chime into that. I don't think that you're the whole thing with you is not not about do viruses exist. And so I know that I'm yeah. spurging out sure. about it and I don't mean to do that or derail your point. So going forward, I will go under the assumption that if we're going with viruses or real camp, then ABC. And I don't yeah. argue that they, they are real. Well, if they exist, what the fuck are they? That's kind of my point. That's kind yeah. of my question. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's fair. So I'm just going forward on that. Sorry about being, you know, I'm not trying to be, I just, even in this particular situation, I'm just saying in our analysis, it's good to keep that stuff in mind. Not totally. that it's making the argument for me. I just want to be balanced in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that I can be maybe even over top 
over the top about that, but it's, it's, it's like being scarred from every narrative your whole life that you've ever been told has been a lie or it's appearing that way. So then I think that puts you even more on the defensive, but um, going forward for all intents and purposes in our conversation, we're assuming that viruses are real. Well, the, the mark of intelligence is being able to entertain a thought without necessarily accepting it as true. Right. Yeah. So it's worth considering everything. Yeah. Um, that's that's why I'm like, I would never besmirch any idea as long as it's based in some level of logic and reasoning. Um, so anyways, let me play this one and we'll carry on from there. You know, I, I am going to like make a transition away from viruses into some things that I see as parallel. Uh, but this this one I thought was worthwhile so here we go viruses are nasty and icky and sneaky and now it turns out they also might be alive anthony here for d news and there are two things that are bound to get scientists into a knife fight one is defining what life is and the other is figuring out whether viruses fit into that definition but a new study by tufts university says that whatever life is Viruses are probably part of it, and that is because they are stealing it from us. So biologists go back and forth on what life is so much that at one point there were over 280 competing scientific definitions of life on record. That is a lot. There are some basic guidelines that everyone agrees on. You've probably heard them before. Life is made of one or more cells. It obtains and uses energy. It grows and develops. It reproduces. It responds and adapts to its environment. And viruses have sort of straddled the line between living and non-living for a while. First, we thought they were poison, and then we thought they were living things. And then, in 1946, Wendell Stanley got a Nobel Prize in chemistry for showing that they don't have the equipment to metabolize stuff, which means they can't get and use energy. Viruses also don't have cells of their own. They're basically just these little packets of DNA or RNA that live inside of other cells and piggyback on those cells' ability to reproduce, to get themselves replicated. And that's why they're so hard to define. They sort of borrow some of the building blocks of life from us instead of filling the requirements themselves. But now it looks like viruses don't just borrow those things from us. They steal them and integrate them, copy them and make them a permanent part of themselves. So the team from Tufts took a look at a type of virus that attacks bacteria, which is called a bacteriophage or just a phage if you're nasty. This particular phage attacks cholera bacteria. And surprisingly, the phage had stolen the immunity system from the bacteria. And as it replicated, all the new viruses had it too. It had just ganked cholera's whole immune system. And what's interesting is that the new strain became better at destroying cholera because they both have the same immune system. So this means that viruses could potentially be living things, assuming they've taken the right stuff from their hosts. Now that doesn't mean they have yet. They still don't fit exactly into the mold, but they're much closer than we thought. We talked a bit about how tricky it is to decide whether something is alive or intelligent before when we talked about that slime mold that could solve mazes. And while it might seem like splitting hairs or too academic an argument to have, actually defining these things is important for a lot of reasons. You know, think about looking for life on Mars like we're doing right now. We have to know exactly what life is before we can really say whether we found it or not. So what Okay. You know, not not like the most informative, but like I think he's asking some some interesting questions, you know. Um I don't know. I've got, I've got like another one, I, but any thoughts? Um, the six legged phage is very cute and I want one. Well, that's, that's kind of <laughs> what I refer to as looking. It looks totally unnatural. It does. It looks like something out of space, but then, you know, within yeah. our bodies always reminds me of out of space. So, um, and I just, it reminds me, there was a line in there. I can't remember what it was, but, it, yeah, I don't know, space. We, we've only ever really seen CGI of space, haven't we? 
So what are we looking at under the microscope as well? I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I know I'm a really suspicious person, but you've got to ask these questions. That's what these conversations are about because they have lied to us about a lot of things for a very long time. So how deep are the lies? Where does it end? Any thoughts, Ashley? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, there's just so much we don't know. You know, like I said, in this case, I'm not arguing the existence or correctness of that. I just know how sketchy science has been since forever. But I also think that if they are real, then it is very fascinating to how do you determine what it actually is? Like, you know, alive, maybe? Why? What, you know, what it's, characteristics it's, made it? It's such an interesting question. What like what is a virus? Yes, uh... I think that I think that there might be a fundamental question as far as like their their function. I've already alluded to this. I've said it already, but I think I, you know, I'm not convinced that they don't exist. I'm convinced that they are a a means to an end of transfer of information. I think if we could stand right back, I think it's sort of kind of glaringly obvious in a little way because what did they ban during COVID was ivermectin, correct, and antiparasitic medication. I can almost hear Rob <laughs> right now because um, in 1946 that guy, I didn't catch his name, who brought some new information to light, as science does and it's meant to, um, about, you know, the way he described it sounded very parasitic. So these viruses, it's like they may not be alive, they may not be dead, but they certainly change things. They mm -hmm. take things into themselves and reinvent themselves and then I think, from what I gathered, pollute the others as well. But, um, yeah, it just sounded parasitic and, you know, they banned I ivermectin. I think it, I think it can be. I think it can be. Yeah, I think there's such a broad topic of, the the function of the ecosystem they're they're such a broad category to call them all parasites would be oversimplifying yeah i think they can be parasitic again i think that might be the truth to terrain theory is that like if you have an unhealthy host they're much more likely to behave parasitically but i don't think that's necessarily their role like exclusively um, let me let me play okay, this. Okay, but if if they were able to bring forth, um, you know, a decent argument or some sort of proof, then there wouldn't be these discussions, would there? So obviously they can't. So many people have said they can't isolate a virus, and COVID was never isolated. And then some Asian guy said, yes, it was, blah blah. And then when you looked into all that, um, what I was referring to before about there's always a little chain that's broken in the argument. It's like, nah, there it is. There's there's the fault. You cannot say that they exist because of this bit. So nobody's proven anything, which is why we keep having these discussions. I don't disagree. All right, let me play this and we'll uh, carry on. You probably understand what is considered a living thing. A giraffe, centipede, and a tree are all living things. A desk, a water bottle, and stop signs aren't. But what really makes a living thing? Does it have to feel pain, move around, or just have DNA? 
The question is actually quite complicated, and a perfect definition just doesn't exist, because not all scientists agree. Some of the main things that are characteristics of living things are energy use, growth, reproduction, adapting, and responding to the environment. I think that we can all agree that giraffes, centipedes, and trees fulfill all these requirements. But how about bacteria and viruses? Bacteria need energy to survive, they grow until they get large enough, and then asexually reproduce, creating a copy of itself. Bacteria also respond and adapt to the environment by adjusting enzymes, proteins, and other molecules to keep it as safe and efficient as possible. Many viruses are still undiscovered, and new viruses that shake the wall between living and non-living things are emerging. But most viruses do not use energy. They are built out of protein pieces, which means they do not grow. Most, if not all, need a host cell to replicate and cannot do it on their own. And also, viruses do not adapt to their environment, though they do experience natural selection. Now, I wouldn't really mind if someone said that a virus was a living thing, but in my opinion, viruses are non-living things. They're just a piece of DNA or RNA covered with a protein coat and possibly an envelope. So why do viruses even exist if they don't even have the want to live? It all comes down to natural selection. The DNA or RNA that endures and replicates moves on to replicate more and more. The viruses that are the most efficient multiply and basically take over the world. The only real reason that viruses exist is because DNA and RNA both experience natural selection. I hope now that you know enough about viruses and life to make an educated decision on whether you think viruses are alive. All right, good enough. So, okay, you know, I I find myself like wavering on this this issue of what the fuck are they exactly? But it's like maybe there are non-living things that can behave like living things. You know, they they reproduce, they spread, they multiply, but they don't they don't actually grow. They don't actually metabolize. They're just maybe they are just parasites. Well, there's a lot that we don't know, and I thought that was a pretty classic line where he said something something like, most viruses are still undiscovered. It's like, well, how the fuck do you know that? <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah, um, it all sounds very, I don't know, up in the air to me still. I don't think anybody really knows much. And to to then sort of, you know, come along and say, hey, we've got the answer to this thing that nobody really knows about is uh, – I don't know. I just don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it. it's. I think it's. Uh, it to me, it is an interesting conversation worth having, because you have all these nuances. Whether something okay exists, doesn't exist. If it does, then and are we seeing the true marks of this thing existing and causing? change maybe i mean maybe it does have something to do with proteins or changing i think that the possibilities are are real um it's just so hard you know it's just so hard to tell one way or the other you know my my brain went in like six different directions when asking this question of like what is a virus is it alive um and then beyond that like what might behave like a virus and is similarly not a living thing, but behaves kind of like one, right? 
And you know what my brain went to? Beanie Babies. <laughs> the collector's mentality is that you can never have enough. And that's very dangerous. The biggest toy craze in history. They would just lunge and grab. A beanie baby is a small stuffed animal that fits in the palm of your hand. You almost feel like the beanie baby is a little person. Time Warner is like the Wizard of Oz. Not many people knew the person. He knew how to market his beanies. He knew how to get those emotions going. I would have paid whatever it took to get that Beanie Baby at the time. We called every shop over the United States. This was becoming something different. That's when the internet came around. <laughs> there were people out there who were buying the beanies, and this was their livelihood. The prices were up 350 and up 450 and up $900. My sales in 1996 were $2.6 million, and in 1997, they were $23 million. Let me tell you a story about a Chinese Tice who's equated these bees that make me hot. Beanie rat. It's a beanie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're muted, Mike. Yeah, that was just a trailer for fucking an HBO documentary uh, about beanie babies. Oh. But okay. that was that to me, like Beanie Babies, they spread like a virus. They, they <laughs> you know, it was like a boom and bust. Sting like man. a bee. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Like, am I crazy? Is a is a corporation alive? Are Beanie Babies alive? You know, <laughs> if, a if a virus could be argued might be a living thing, why not a Beanie Baby? Well, why not a mind virus, which would be mm, a beanie yeah. baby? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Circle back. Manifest. To the, yes. And circle back to the very beginning of this conversation um, about uh, mass hysteria. Thank you, Miss Saki. Mind virus. Yes. Anytime. <laughs> circling back. Very nice circling back there. Circling back. Absolutely. And um, mind viruses are real. And we have seen that phenomenon, 100%. particularly uh, we, we were able to observe a less fun craze. And that was the COVID craze. That was yeah, way less fun than the Beanie Baby craze. It's called marketing. Well, so this <laughs> yes. is my thing. When, when, when we watched that video and they were talking about what defines a living thing, you know, it, it, it grows, it reproduces, it adapts to an, its environment. And Western civilization pointed it out. This was my point with the Beanie Babies. That's what they did. That's what they did. They grew, yes. they multiplied, they they adapted to their environment. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> yes, no. they produced they, and adapted and overcame. And they <laughs> shaped the environment, the culture, yeah. and the culture shaped them back. Right. Ooh, yes, they were all very shapeable, weren't they? Very morphy, those bears. Oh, they yes, started out as yes. bears, didn't it? 
because they constantly had a new iteration, the newest bear, the shamrock bear, the princess Diana bear, the yeah, I've got the Einstein Jerry bear Garcia bear. <laughs> Little e, e, e equals MC squared tapestry on his chest. It's very cute, but um, they are cute. Yeah, yeah, they are. And um, I knew a young lady actually. Um, may she rest in peace. She had just about every single one there was available because you know the parents. They kind of knew they weren't going to have her for long, so they completely flooded her and she was just, I just had no idea how many beanie babies there were. Gosh, when was that? Probably about 2004 or something like that. Yeah. Are they still around? They are. So um, they're still bringing out new ones? Well, okay, so I was going to say I, I just had like Christmas with my family and there's this new version of the beanie baby. Oh, really? And it's called it's called the squishy beanie. I I was oh. trying to re- I was trying to remember what it was called. Here, I'm going to show you. They're going after squishmallow market. Is it like gel? It's a squishmallow or whatever. Yeah, squishmallow edible. Edible Look, or not? This is no, no. It's it's definitely not edible. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole type of toy called a Squishmallow, and I think that Beanie Babies, or Ty rather, is going after the Squishmallow market right. with their own version of this. But it's a very, it's just the texture. They're just supposed to be more squishy than yeah, a right. stuffed toy. So, so my parents bought these for my nieces and nephews. They each got one. And the one that bothered me I forget what it was called. Oh man, I hope I can find it maybe. But um it was a it was a rainbow unicorn cat. Mm. A rainbow unicorn cat. It had the face of a cat, the horn of a unicorn, and it was rainbow wow. colored. And the little the little tag said, My name is whatever. I was born a cat, but then I magically became a unicorn. Mm. Ah, so it, I cat it identified was, as a unicorn. Yes, a gay unicorn at that. A gay cat unicorn. Yeah, chim- chimera. Can can someone tell me is it chimera or chimera? <laughs> Ch- chimera. That's, chimera. That's, okay. Yeah, yeah. Chimera. That's exactly so what I was thinking. Yes. Was it the pride rainbow specifically? Sure looked like it to me. I was okay. like, God damn, we got a tranny, yeah. we got a tranny yeah. baby <laughs> Malo. And see, that's that's the yeah. problem because they shape culture, but mm. they weren't the first to come out with this concept, but they're reinforcing so. that shape. And then based on the acceptance of this current market, then they are also being shaped. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Society, the culture shaped the beanies. Into a strange, well, it's strange shape, whatever it is. Manifest, right? I guess. I guess this has been happening this whole time to get us where we're at. Yeah, you know. So, absolutely. With the help of a Thai surgeon. (laughs) That's Western civilization in the chat. With the help of a Thai surgeon. (laughs) The the chimera. I've forgotten it already. Chimera? Chimera. Chimera. Oh, God. <laughs> just going to say, it's hard when you just read stuff. You don't hear people saying it much. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Chimera. Well, you know, okay. So y'all know about Citizens United and how apparently corporations are 
kind of living things, kind of not living things, you know, like a dead entity, a corporation. Citizen United, is that an activist group here in the States? Well, that's a good question. Okay. Yes, you're, you're right. But it's also a, um, a Supreme Court ruling. So oh, okay. let, me, let, me, let me show you. Go to any city, any town, and any rest stop in America, and you're bound to find the same old shopping centers with the same stores and the same gas stations and the same fast food as any other city. How did just a few companies gain monopoly over the entire country? You know which companies I'm talking about. The Coca-Colas, the Shells, the Comcasts, you name it. <laughs> Hello everyone, Thought Monkey here. Today we'll be exploring how corporations came to be so powerful and how they have come to dominate our shopping centers and politics. First, a little bit of background about what a corporation is. The word corporation comes from the Latin word corpus, which means body of people. In fact, in ancient Roman law, corporate entities were recognized and even given protection under the law. Similarly today, by definition, a corporation is simply a group of people who have been authorized by law to act as a single legal entity. And while most of the time we use the word corporate negatively, corporations are not innately bad. They can be bad or good, just like people. However, over the past hundred years, corporations have gained certain legal rights that have allowed them to gain more and more power. Again, some use their power responsibly for good, while others recklessly for bad. Think Google versus ExxonMobil. Corporations today are super powerful for a number of reasons. First, corporations are allowed to create political action committees, or PACs for short, which are basically organizations that pool money from members and donate those funds to campaign for or against candidates, ballot initiatives, or legislation. For example, AT&T donated nearly $3 million during the 2016 campaign cycle on funding the campaigns of possible representatives they believed would put out legislation in AT&T's best interest. Second, corporations tend to spend a lot of money on lobbying in Washington in the hopes of influencing politicians on a particular issue. For example, the oil company ExxonMobil has spent over $200 million alone over the past 20 years on lobbying. Just in 2008, the company spent over $29 million in an effort to defeat legislation that addressed climate change. Not only do corporations donate millions of dollars to the politicians they know will act in their best interest, or spend hundreds of millions of dollars on expert influencers trying to get those politicians to sign or block legislation that will help or hurt their companies, but they also employ many revolvers, or people who are at one time government employees that now work for corporations, strengthening the connection between corporations and government further. Of the 29 registered lobbyists that work for ExxonMobil, 22 of them have at one time been government employees. You get the point. Of course, Exxon is just one example out of many. I don't know why I'm bragging on Exxon, but I am. And if you happen to be the CEO listening to this video, please don't come after me. I'm just using you as an example. Anyways, the point is that corporations and the government are tightly wound up within each other. So how did this happen? Before the late 1800s, corporations were required to be public service organizations and have a stated public purpose. In other words, they were sort of a gift from a group of people to serve the public good. They were tightly controlled and very limited due to widespread public opposition. In fact, the common misconception is that the Boston Tea Party was a protest between the American revolutionaries and the King of England, but rather it was a protest by the Americans against the monopolization of the tea market by the East India Company. In the mid-1800s, during the Civil War and the Industrial Revolution, there was an explosion in the growth of corporations, and with it came the belief by corporate lawyers that they needed more power to operate. Their goal was to remove certain constraints that had been placed on the corporation. 
After the Civil War was fought and the 14th Amendment was passed, which was created to protect freed slaves and provide them with equal protection under the law, a case was decided in 1886 between Santa Clara County and the Southern Pacific Railroad, which gave corporations protection under the 14th Amendment, declaring them people. The decision read that the defendant corporations are persons within the 14th Amendment, which forbids a state to deny any person equal protection of the laws. Basically, the ruling gave corporations the right to enter into contract with other parties and sue just like you and I can do. While the original intent of passing the 14th Amendment was to protect freed black slaves, between 1890 and 1910, there were 307 cases brought before the court under it. 288 of those cases were brought to the court by corporations, while only nine of them by freed black slaves. President Lincoln predicted the growth and power of the corporation long before such a decision was passed by the Supreme Court when he wrote during the Civil War that corporations have been enthroned and an era of corruption in high places will follow until all wealth is aggregated in a few hands and the republic is destroyed. I feel at this moment more anxiety for the safety of my country than ever before, even in the midst of war. Since 1886, there have been at least 11 more major decisions by the Supreme Court that have given corporations additional rights. The most recent two that have had a huge impact on our past two elections have been the 2010 Citizens United versus FEC, which declared that the government can't limit a corporation's political donations. And in 2014, the Burwell versus Hobby Lobby case that says that corporations can assert the religious rights of their owners. The point is that corporations used to look very different than they do today. Their evolution from tightly controlled entities that were meant to serve the public to massive companies that serve themselves first and have a major influence on the political direction of this country has been a slow yet steady process. Their power has come from the decisions of many court cases which have slowly granted them more and more power. The trend is not in the public's favor, rather the corporations. The question remains, however, what now? How can the public limit the power of corporate influence in Washington? Well, the answer seems like it would be pretty simple. Okie doke. Uh, so you get the point like these these entities. These entities are now people. Right? They're they're living, but they're not. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say that Western Civ made a comment that I thought was interesting. He said the summary read like that, but the case stated the opposite. So I don't I don't know what he meant by that. If he wanted to clarify wanna, a little bit. Are we able to, to chuck him a link? Does he want to join us? Sure could. Where can we do that, Western Civ? Because, um, yeah, like, I mean, this stuff is, it's just a muddy mess of a lagoon to me still. You hear this and you hear that. And then you hear people with the counter arguments about all this sort of, uh, you know, dead entities, corporations, law thing, the, the fact that you're actually a dead entity yourself and declared that with your birth certificate and all that sort of stuff. But I haven't heard of many of things standing up in actual court. So, <laughs> and, you know, they just they just reach in and pull you out of the car if you try that whole thing about, oh, I'm a citizen and I'm just travelling. Oh, no, I'm just a traveller. Um, and then, yes, okay, ma'am, and they just smash your window and pull you out of the car. So, you know, what are you going to do? So, anyway, that's a bit off topic. But, uh, are you keeping an eye on these comments? Um, I No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ashley on the YouTube? 
Yes. So oh, he can't looked, at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Right. He didn't have his. <laughs> you don't have to turn your camera on, but yeah, if it doesn't suit you right now, yeah, that's fine. But anyway, I would be so. I at least wanted to just point it out to say that maybe there's something we're missing um, based on that video, but that's fine. Um, I do think it gets into very murky and nefarious or potentially nefarious territory. Basically, I think mm. that it's a slippery slope. If you start saying that corporations are people and giving the, you know, like to, to use your term, I think you said dead entity, um, certain rights, then I think it's a slippery slope into the AI conversation. Yeah. And like if, if corporations are now living entities as of, you know, as of that date, whenever it was, and the 14th Amendment was changed, although Western Civ said it was the opposite, but I don't know. But I mean, like you, if maybe that's why uh, the big farmer have to get immunity, like as in Ronald Reagan signing in November 1986 for big farmer to be completely immune from any kind of litigation. So is maybe that is the case because they're a living entity. So if they weren't, then I guess they weren't suable anyway. Would that be the case? Does that sound feasible? It's not, it's really not my area at all. Well, that's, to that's, I mean, that's the weird thing about this whole thing is like, so apparently Citizens United came about because of this organization, Citizens United, that produced uh, a movie that I think was anti Hillary Clinton. So this whole lawsuit was about whether or not like corporations could fund like a movie and then it turned into a ruling that allowed corporations to to fund anything under the label of free speech oh like obama just did with a movie yeah i guess that was yeah. uh incorporating yeah. the, the clinton foundation and everything they can they're just free reign aren't they they can do anything they want well here here let me show not you even, a little more. not even auditable i don't think let me let me show you this one can you guess the one thing all of these ads have in common? Do you have some concerns about Bernie Sanders' health? It's Cory Booker. Donald Trump in 2020 would be like putting gasoline on a fire. Answer? They're all supported by Super PACs. Super PACs, or Super Political Action Committees, are some of the biggest players in American politics. They emerged in 2010 after the controversial Supreme Court ruling Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, which gave corporations the same free speech rights as people. Unlike individuals donating to a candidate's campaign who are under stringent monetary limits, super PACs can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money aimed at electing or defeating candidates, but they can't coordinate directly with the candidates. Proponents say super PACs are an important freedom for corporations, unions, associations, and individuals to financially support their political views. Opponents argue super PACs threaten the fundamentals of democracy, allowing a small number of people with a lot of money to have outsized sway over elections. In 2016 and 2018, super PACs raised almost $2 billion in each election cycle. More than three-fourths of Americans say that there should be limits on the amount of money individuals and groups can spend on campaigns. Some lawmakers in Congress have been working on bills aimed at evening the playing field. They've proposed measures that would help fund individuals running for office so those candidates wouldn't have to rely on big donors. Most of the bills face long odds. Even if they do pass, big money will probably continue to play a big role in U.S. elections. 
So it's just funny, like how these laws lead to radical changes in our political landscape. I have no faith in the political landscape to begin with, but no, I'm like corporations are given free speech rights. You catch my drift. It's alive. Even if it ain't alive, it behaves as such. Yeah. And you try holding anybody accountable because like I was saying sometime recently, the government or the business or whatever, you can't sort of look at one person and say, Hey, you're the business or you're the government. It's a body of people who come and go. So it's still a body, but we're body with many members, but how can you hold an entity, you know, responsible? I mean, you can, I guess, so you can get billions of dollars paid out, but guess where all that money comes from originally anyway? So <laughs> round and round it goes. Yeah, it's a tricky one. And I don't have no answers. So Western civilization said a higher dimensional entity. Well, yeah. Sort of, I mean, sort of a super organism, if you will. That is who you have to hold accountable in one sense and whoever's following that entity, whichever entity that may be. Choose your I master. Mean, this is a real mind warp of a conversation, to be honest, because <laughs> um, it's it's quite it's quite deep and interesting and weird to um, you know to think about this because once again it does affect society and society affects it. And the same with the, the government, right? So what created what? What which one is the parasite now? You know? Some, some, when did the government go from symbiotic to parasitic? That's I think it's that's a good fucking question, <laughs> Ashley. That's a I would good argue fucking question. That it always it always has been. As soon as it became not voluntary right? Yeah. A voluntary organization. But once it goes away from being a voluntary group of people trying to do something, then it's parasitic. Well, the terrain changed and the terrain was the, the psyche of the American mind. Mind virus. That's it, man. Yeah. What's that? There's a name for the mind virus, Watuki or something like that. I think it's called. So it's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> um, I have what, what, what to oh, something like that. Um, I've no heard idea. a couple of uh, podcasts on this. It's really interesting, actually. Um, it is literally a mind virus. Um, that's nothing new. It's you know quite old, like in older civilizations as well. I can't really enlighten you much more on that. Maybe somebody in the comments knows what I'm talking about. Well, so, I would call it. I would call it mass psychosis yes that's pretty much what it is yes yeah yeah uh, and don't forget that back in 2000 and was it 11 or 14 obama lifted all those restrictions on using propaganda on the american citizens in other words a country's own citizens because when yeah. you know when it we all know around the world watching you big boys in your big pants in america <laughs> <laughs> that when you say America, you sort of generally mean the world. And when you say Americans, you generally mean people. So it's just that, you know. <laughs> so don't forget about us. Well, so this is why I went like in the chat, I said, we're going to get like biophilosophical, right? Mind virus. 
You did say that. This is psychology being used. This is the knowledge of virology and psychology and biology and all of it used to influence our genome. That's the scariest part, man. That's the scariest part. That's I'm convinced that's the punchline. It's all about DNA. It's all about DNA. Oh, 100% it is. Yep, the life yeah. is in the blood. But they have to use our, our brain, our psychology against us in order to allow us to let them fuck with our DNA. It sounds so it crazy. Had to, it it sounds had to be so a crazy, choice. But... It had to be a choice. That they had to allow yeah. us to have our free will to choose it. And that's complying is, you know, I mean, silence is compliance. And yeah. people well, allowed it you, to happen. So they can't be held responsible. One of you brought up the Obama movie. And I watched yeah. it. I watched it. Oh, okay. It's already out, is it? Have you watched it? No. No. I did want to say that um, Western Civ had said not bound by a physical being. And I kind of agree with that because, it, well, in, in this particular case, I think that it's spiritual or at least partially spiritual. And so I do Absolutely. think there is the, um, you know, the battle of good versus evil. God versus the prince of this world. So yep. I see it that way and demonic influence and all that kind of stuff. He also said five eyes spy on each other and trade info. Yeah, I think they're the same. I consider like <laughs> five eyes Canada, comes up yet again. Yeah. There's a lot of those sort of things now though. All countries working with each other. It's like, you know, there's trilaterals and the five eyes and the, there's just so many of them. Um, yeah, what I was going to say before about when Mike was talking about like, you know, they're not quite a virus or they're not quite a living thing or what have you, not quite dead. I was thinking, yeah, they're more like an entity, more like, and I was going to say demons and I thought maybe we don't want to go down that road because we're already <laughs> in a weird place anyway, but I was going to say that. So, yeah, I love it. there I we love go. It. We just went there, all right? We're, yeah. we're weird. We're weird. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, not everybody oh, they, thinks that it's the, they don't think or believe in the spiritual peace. I see that a lot, especially in the, lol bert community right that they they're like so everything's so logical and um yes but what i was actually saying uh and what um you know what they actually say in austrian economics uh or whatever <laughs> like they they don't seem to have an understanding for the spiritual component right. of of that of like what uh western civil saying not bound by a physical being because there's more at play here absolutely i mean ephesians 6 12 it's just it says it this this is a war this spiritual war fair and and there's their religion and their god is the science and themselves and you know the laboratory the petri dish um so they're not going to understand what the hell we're talking about <laughs> or well, even acknowledge it it's just you know codswallop well, even though at the deeper level they do know they do understand because they are trying to outdo god they are trying to get rid of God. They're trying to get rid of free will and individuality. And uh, so a, a ways and means via a parasite is uh, it's very apt. So this, um, this movie, it's called um, Leave the World Behind, right? This Obama-funded movie. Uh, somebody at the bar told it to me, and he's a guy who has guns and who's prepped. And who's like pretty switched on. 
and he watched this movie and he's like you gotta watch this movie like it's so raw and like true and blah 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 and i watch it and i'm like oh fuck first of all half the plot is (laughs) my book you know and it's like damn it and then uh I see the I see the trailer for this Civil War movie and I'm like that's the other half of my book you fuckers but it's done worse it's not a good version of the story but they're you know it's like these movies are trying to grab on to the people that are woke in the good way are kind of woke I hate to even say it that way, but uh, even that's confusing, isn't yeah. it? There's woke yeah. and there's awake. So, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And then what qualifies, you know, for if you have this rubric of critical thinking and truth or qualities, then you are. But if you believe in, you know, like this most recent conflict, if you don't think there was propaganda there, then okay, then you're not in the group. You know, how yeah. do we? Yeah, it's difficult. It's in a white group and we're in it. Well, you know, I'm going to, you know, what's so funny, right? The white club. We, we did our um, family Christmas this past weekend. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. And uh, it just was so ironic because as you all know, the issue of illness around the holidays was a huge deal. The last Oh yeah, that's three right. years, mm. and this year, everybody had a cold. Oh really? Oh, so you don't but they say. still all came. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not kidding. So I apologize. Like I'm, my voice is kind of given out on me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little rougher than usual. But um, let me let me play this trailer for this. You're a little song. horse. You being a show I'm pony. A, I am a little horse. <laughs> but. Speaking of um, propaganda, let me let me play this. Nineteen states have seceded. The United States Army ramps up activity. The White House issued warnings to the Western forces as well as the Florida Alliance. The future president assures the uprising will be dealt with swiftly. Let me know if you want to try anything. I guess aware there's like a pretty huge civil war going on all across America. We just try to stay out with what we see on the news. Seems like it's for the best. Citizens of America, the so-called Western forces of Texas and California have suffered a very great defeat at the hands of the United States military. Mr. President, do you regret the use of airstrikes against American citizens? We're moving to D.C. today. We need to go down there. They shoot journalists on sight in the Capitol. Every instinct in me says this is death. Bloody. Every time I survived the war zone, I thought I was sending a warning home. Don't do this. But here we are. There's some kind of misunderstanding here. What? We're American, okay? Okay. What kind of American are you? Dun, dun, dun. Civil War. America. 2024. Oh, 2024. This is the, this is the Obama movie, is it? No. 
Oh, this is another. Right. This is another psyop movie. <laughs> a different one. The Obama movie was like blackout. This is blackout. like civil That's war. That's a bit racist, isn't it? Well, sure. <laughs> but they're they're the same. They're the same, but different. And they're stealing my damn plot. These bastards. I bet they read my fucking book. <laughs> yeah, they probably they did. probably did. Well, the algorithm uh, did sent the transcript. Yeah. And I will say that the concept of civil war has certainly been in the ether. Sorry. <laughs> Tim Poole has been talking about the civil war for a long time. So I even feel like it's probably coming from several different strings or threads of propaganda, right? Like you got a little thread in the alt community and then you got a big thread for the people that are really affected by Netflix. Well, it's interesting because it all goes full circle. I mean, they're planting seeds. It's like they're creating a monoculture, you know, that never ends well. You know, we got, we got drizzle saying what everybody's thinking. I'm so sick of this trailer already. <laughs> yeah. you know, drizzle. I agree, bro. Like I'm breaking my own rule. I'm talking about what everybody else is talking about, but like, it's so clear to me after watching that fucking Obama movie and seeing this trailer that they're just like, yeah, they're just like playing with us, bro. Both of these movies are total psyops, you know, like the Obama yeah. movie was like basically a black savior, like the white uh, father figure was a total fucking loser. And the, the black, figure was like the one that saves everybody which is fine like i guess whatever but like no wonder it's obama funded i don't know all of it was like oh like yeah playing on our our fears about collapse to make a buck and and push a message yeah keep us, bullshit. keep us in that mode yeah yeah, yeah. frequency and propaganda you know I think it's something that they would like to create. I don't know that it's going to happen because it would have to be. I mean, there's only one group that has weapons. So it would be that group versus what half of the country unarmed and the military, the U.S. military. And yet they portrayed the the rebel as the one who had uh, the military fatigues on. I don't know. It was weird. I don't know. I'm like definitely going to watch that movie, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Can you tell Stella, <laughs> can you give us a summary of what, do you remember the name of the Obama one that he and Michelle produced? Blackout. He yeah. Just said, I think. yeah. Well, it's, um, it's called leave the world behind. And it's oh. basically like, there's a, there's a global like cyber hack. Well, I don't even know if it's global. It's countrywide. Basically, like the US gets shut down and everything goes haywire and like nobody can go anywhere. And Cyber Polygon. Cyber Polygon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I thought you said that it was called Blackout. No, it's called Leave the World Behind, but it it's basically okay. a blackout um story. Like Oh, I get you. Right. And that's the subject. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And, and then there's, there's just the, a, there's the race a lot of narrative. There's there's a lot of subtext and like whatever to it. 
They've been talking yeah. about this for yonks. Well, it seems like yonks to us. I guess maybe it's probably new to the general en masse populace, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, I mean, it's just like art imitating life. They're trying to make it happen. Um, that's what the whole, I mean, has it been on The Simpsons yet? <laughs> has there been an episode about the Civil War on The Simpsons? Because if it hasn't, then we don't need to worry. <laughs> So Western I have no Civ- clue if there was or not. Sorry, sorry, Mike. Western Civ says uh, the first Obama movie was a short about the offing of Osama bin Laden. Uh, I wonder when that was. Yeah, I've never obviously uh, post two thousand and one. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> have to be. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's all predictive programming, but I think that they realise they've actually got more power than what we possibly give them credit for. Um, they're manipulating us even more and more through. That's why, you know, I just don't watch movies, basically. I don't have Netflix. I don't contribute to any of that. I don't have, I don't even watch a telly. I mean, yeah, I'm sitting and watch a fair bit of YouTube, but um, you've got to pick and choose <laughs> and be aware. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a waste of space these days, really. I mean, there's so much AI and stuff. You just got to keep going. Don't recommend. Don't recommend. <laughs> well, there's to not me, much left. to me, I think the big psyop is that, like, you know, it's like it's like Beanie Baby, Beanie Baby Mania. People are too busy. You know, people with money are too busy buying and fucking with shit that doesn't actually matter. Meanwhile, there actually is an ongoing like civil war that most people just aren't privy to. I mean, so. I spent I spent some good some good time down in New Orleans. I also don't live too far from Chicago, and uh, and frankly, Indianapolis ain't so great neither. And like there is war in the streets. Most people just don't have to t- you know don't have to deal with it. Oh wow! Okay, you catch you catch my drift. Yeah. So let me let me yeah. let me play this from New Orleans, right? I and oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was this just going to say this is current. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, it's always current in the city, right. in the hood. Yeah. Um, I I I spent a month in New Orleans working like downtown, so I got a taste of it. Like, this mm-hmm. is not exaggerated. But Ashley, did you have something to say? Just that, yes, I think this is intentional and maybe this was something that they've been trying to create in every community for a long time or maybe the black community was decided to be the testing ground in that particular way um because i I think think this is. i think you got a point there yeah because you know like we've talked about on here before the the fact that rap music was infiltrated by intelligence in order to create this type of community so i think that with the co-opting of the media the drug you know the drugs that were run into those neighborhoods the creating of gangs um welfare type stuff i think has created this and maybe that you know that was done intentionally to just see you know as another like basically human study right mk ultra study or something Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Agree. 
All right. I'll go ahead and play it. This is New Orleans. Oh, my God. Sorry. Just, sorry. Can we yeah. just pause there? Can we just go back to that very first shot? I only just saw it as you hit play. Oh, just the crest and the star on the back of the in, in what PD? In Islam? New Orleans. N-O. N-O. Oh, N-O. Right. Okay. New Orleans. Right, thanks for that. Yeah. You're, you're right. That's very Muslim. Crest and star. Yeah. Crest and star. star. Yeah. Hmm. This is New Orleans, the murder capital of America. What's the biggest problem out here in New Orleans? It's like we walk in on eggshells. It's that freaking scary. I mean, the good always. You shot eight times? Twice in both of my arms, twice in both of my legs, one in my chest, you know Check the move. New Orleans now holds the record as the murder capital of the nation. But why is everyone killing each other? And what can be done to fix it? I met up with a local rapper, Noon Orleans, to find out. I mean, anywhere in New Orleans is the jungle. Happens anywhere in the world. Kidnapping, carjacking, all of the above. If I were to leave my car parked out here with the keys in it, it wouldn't be out here for an hour. Really? I guarantee you that. And 10 minutes in, we stumbled upon a murder scene where someone was killed just last night. How long have you been out here in New Orleans? Oh, man. Somebody just got killed around the corner. Oh, you said someone just got killed right around the corner. That's what he just said. Someone was literally murdered right here? Yeah, I don't know what specific spot, but when I came through, I saw the police calls from like right now. Did you see a murder scene out here? I did see the police out here. I didn't see if anything happened. Okay. How is it living out here? It's not bad. Okay. When you go for a walk at night, you look behind your shoulder or what? I don't usually walk at night though. Has New Orleans gotten more dangerous over the years? Yeah. Very dangerous. It's wicked in this street, bro. What do you mean by that? Hey, you gotta keep it cold. You know it's the murder capital of America? You're right. Check the news. You can I see, see the news. Yeah. We'd be strapped out here. Y'all not strapped? Did you see anyone get killed out here? Dad, I've seen that growing up all my life. I probably seen my first shooting when I was maybe like five or six. Just walking up the street, walking around the corner to my mama's house, seeing if she got out work. And I seen a dude, he just put out a gun and told him, like, where my $20 at? And he shot at him over $20. Scary out here. Scary out here? It's hard and scary. It's what do you mean by that? You never know when you're going to get mugged. You never know when you're going to get jacked. I mean, it's like we walking on eggshells. It's that freaking scary. It's yeah. to come out your door. I mean, it's just scary. I'm going to do things. All right. The crazy part is a lot of these cycles stem from the 90s and shit, bro. A lot of these kids don't know why they fight. But back then, even if they was killers, they had morals, they had principles. You know what I'm saying? Nobody didn't kill children. They'll call and tell you, we about to come around there for you. Put the kids and the ladies inside. Put the women inside. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We coming for you, me and you. We can meet in the middle of the street. Be lucky to graduate for real. A lot of people from when I was in middle school, they not here with me today, feel me? That's what another thing I learned. A lot of the kids that be innocent, they, they could die too. Yeah. It could be anybody, for real. It, you don't got to just be in no streets game. Um, bro. The first time somebody pulled a gun on me, I was nine years old, bro. And it wasn't even a killer. It was the police. So it's like from those type of experience, you learn how to approach life from staring on the barrel of his gun. You feel what I'm saying? We just playing basketball. My brother-in-law, bro. Yeah. Long live Joshua Adams. He was killed by the police department and he wasn't doing nothing. My sister was giving birth to his son. You dig? Yeah. He never got to meet his son. He left the hospital to go get my sister slippers. You feel what I'm saying? While she was delivering their baby. Didn't make it back to the hospital to see his son get born. The police stole him. You feel me? They killed me. They left me for dead, but why the fuck would you doubt me? I come from public housing, paid mama bills as a child. Never knew shit about allowance. This ain't for fortune and fame. This from the torture and pain. Before this mic made me sane, I wrote this all on my brain. Some of my bitches.
pictures change. Yo, they gon' pack up your funeral. That's why I ride with the Glock. Young niggas dying from cops. Put all my faith in the Lord, cause you could die with a cop. That was crazy. You just spoke like a whole social commentary in that rap. If it don't come from the heart, it ain't New Orleans. Whoa. I then learned why New Orleans got into rapping in the first place and how crime and violence has impacted them. I learned how to write raps because my pops was incarcerated my entire life up until I graduated high school. And I had to learn how to write letters to him. That's how we communicated. A year and a half ago, that started like a, a series of funerals for me. I went to over 10 funerals from some of the closest people that I love. We sweep shit under the rug, take it on our chin and go. That we numb the violence. You know, you got a lot like that fentanyl shit. I lost like three or four friends from fentanyl overdoses this year. Crime, violence, gangs, and drug addiction seem to be baked into the culture here. And so we headed to the infamous Chef Street, known for prostitution and All right, that that's plenty, you know? Yeah. That's plenty. It's uh, not much different from sort of almost like Neanderthalism. It's just, there's electricity now. <laughs> you know, it's not much beyond i mean oh, this, if, this is... if, if we if there wasn't electricity how much worse do you think it would be well how much better could it be because it would be a bit less social engineering for a start i mean this is long-term social engineering too i would think uh from various sources and this i mean it, it's all going to end up in the same sewer pit because that's what they want and then they want us to all beg for military rule to come in because it's just too out of control. You're 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 getting ahead of me when you say sewer pit. But uh oh. Anywho, <laughs> anywho, I like the sound anywho. of that. <laughs> Ashley, what do you have? Anything? Yeah, I I second that. You know, it has been unfortunately so much of of that culture. You know, that was done by propaganda and by psyops and social engineering and all that stuff. It, it has to have been because it, you know, people were not always like this, <laughs> like 50, 60, 70 years ago, not that far away. And people are, it's completely different. And even if the average person is not in a, a crime ridden situation, you're still dealing with people that are like, not well. They, they strike me as like people that are very, um, they are on the edge. <laughs> but they've been pushed there and they've, there's yes. so many lack of opportunities because again, mm -hmm. social engineering. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. The uh, comment about uh, that. The white fella made about white fella the dude made about um, I could see where the, uh, the rap came in. Cause I was, I was only a minute or 10 seconds before he said that I was sort of thinking I could see where the rap came in because it sort of reminded me of being the, like the slaves. And I'm not even going to say black slaves because there were many white slaves as well working on the railroad, you know, all oh, the live long day. Um, they were sort of making up songs and chorusing together and doing harmonies because it kept their spirits up. It kept them alive. It kept them focused on something. It gave them unity in these horribly hopeless situations of absolute poverty and dependence. So uh, the rap is just the sort of the modern slave songs, really, in a lot of ways. Again, the music comes to the rescue. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot to that. You know, there's a lot with the music factor because – you're right about the foundation of how it started um, and that that type of music affected so much other music, you know, the blues, 
rock and roll, Southern rock and roll, that kind of stuff, country music even. Um, and then you, so you had these unique cultures that arose with the music, but then you had that music get co-opted by the people who were trying to push a narrative in gangster rap. But then you have this other level of the person like this guy who's, who is using it in a unique and special way to express himself that a lot of people don't do. And by actually really learning words, like all these words and, and, playing around with how words flow so it's very fascinating the whole thing oh, yeah it's fantastic i mean it's you know yeah. the the an idle mind is the devil's playground so it, even if just that it's just giving them uh something to think about focus on uh release you know it's probably keeps the guy sane you know can you imagine living the, like that i had the same reaction and actually they they, they had a couple other folks do some freestyling and like there is something to like art through the pain uh, yeah. but we have to, we have to pause for a moment to welcome our good friend, Ando. How we doing, bud? Hey, what's up? Are you off hey, the road? Are you on hey. the road? Where are you? I'm in a, I'm in a dang door waiting for, uh, waiting for something to happen. <laughs> dang. What does that mean? Uh, just, just a door, you know, like you back into a door and then people unload you in the dock, uh, a, a dock door. Yeah. Gotcha. A doctor. <laughs> yeah. Doctor. doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Not a doctor. <laughs> kind of doc- that's the kind though. of doctor you Not don't mind guy. being. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> cool. Uh, what are we talking about? Um, sorry. I, I have not mm. been able to tune in. Well, at the moment, we're talking about, hmm, we've been talking about all kinds of shit, as you might imagine, but we're talking about uh, the fact that. We get this Civil War movie. We get this Blackout movie on Netflix. Um, we're getting all this like predictive programming about like the collapse. And I'm basically pointing out the fact that the collapse has been here for a while. And I've got well, this. The... Go ahead. Go ahead. The concerning thing about this one is that the Obama production company, I doubt he had very much to do with it other than just being able to stick uh, his and Big Michael's name on the movie. But the the fact that, you know, <laughs> <Big> that, <Michael. laughs> but the fact that they're able to, you know, that they're interested in doing something like this, you know, um, makes it a little bit more sketchy. And uh, I, I saw Drizzle in the chat on YouTube whenever I tuned in for a second. And he's like, I'm already sick of this trailer. I'm already sick of it. I haven't seen it either. But we talked about it on Friday uh, on uh, on Grand Theft World Liberty Radio's uh, open open phone line Friday. Um, yeah, it is concerning that that they're doing this, um, this kind of predictive programming. Um, and, you know, they keep telling us they're going to cut our power. So that probably means that they're going to cut our power. And, you know, you remember Klaus <laughs> right, saying a right. cyber pandemic, you know, Rumble went down this week. My company went down uh, that I used to work for. Um, I know uh, Schreiber, big dairy company, um, JB Swift, a big meat company. They all went down over the last couple of years due, due to cyber attacks. And with cyber attacks, it's like uh, you don't have to cut the whole system down. All you have to do is show that there's a vulnerability and the company themselves will shut their their themselves off of the internet 
in order to keep that vulnerability from being exploited. So this this whole thing, um, you know, it, it's cyber polygon that's been, you know, part of the predictive programming as well. I mean, they they, they lay out their plans and they do them right in front of us. So um, power yep, getting cut gotta... is something we should all be ready for, ready for power yep. cut. You know, and they're going to continually, the they're going to continually blame the solar flares and the magnetic pole shift and all this kind of stuff. It's them. It's them doing it. And it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, they're sort of building the internet back, like bit, bit by bit, maybe. I don't know. I, that's just completely just a thought on my behalf. But you know, the build back better has been hammered into us. Maybe it's not just cities. It's the whole bloody internet and everything, the whole metaverse. What was it? Um, that wouldn't surprise me at I, all. I don't know. What... Sorry. I don't know where I picked this up, but somebody said that there was this uh, the, this vulnerability that they could get rid of if they just shut the internet off for the whole world for nine hours or something like that. And uh, but the consequences of shutting us off for nine hours is just too high, you know, something along those lines. I don't know where I've heard that one. Probably it sounds like something I picked up off of Canary Cry, but good show. Well, if, you, if you think they're not, if if you think they're not willing to fucking ruin your life i was just gonna say they just pulled you're COVID mistaken. off so you're yeah. mistaken yeah i don't think they well, think the twice about it as long as they're well organized chaos is the goal um but you know it, it's it's chaos that they can use if it's chaos they can't use or chaos that costs the wrong people money you know they don't care if it costs somebody money just you know it can't be their guys you know um but yeah uh, if if it's their enemies that suffer, they're just fine, you know, or just us, you know, regular old players. And the the predictive programming's been going on for ages. I mean, I was we were just talking what two three weeks ago about the Escape from New York movie, which and sort of got into a bit of a discussion about that. I've heard it mentioned a couple of times since. That was eighties. That was nineteen early eighties actually. Um, John and, Carpenter you know, is we've got nineteen eighty four written in nineteen forty eight by. Um, What's his face? George. George Orwell. And all is not well. And, of course, the Huxleys. <laughs> the Huxley, Huxley family. Uh, yeah, look, it's been going on for a while. So um, uh, this whole breakdown of society thing is just, you know, uh, it, it's catching our attention now. We've got some pretty amazing effects with CGI and, and all that sort of thing. Nice big screens, 3D. Uh, immersive, you know, <laughs> um, it just looks like it's getting better. I mean, look at the thing in the Vatican, the assembly hall, you know, that that uh, thing that was built in 1970s, by the way, uh, the Vatican assembly hall looks like the head of a cobra or a snake. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if that's what that was. Yeah, and um, the structure that is on the stage that, you know, they all stand in front of, it's basically it looks like Jesus burning in hell or it's Jesus in an apocalypse. It's, it's unbelievable. Maybe we could bring that up. Um, it's certainly not a lovely piece of art. It's, it's far as far removed from the beautiful art of Michelangelo, for instance, and the Sistine Chapel and uh, all that kind of beautiful thing. It's the absolute opposite. <laughs> Couldn't be more. Well, if Ashley's going to find that. Yeah, if you want to find a link. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to show that we're already in Escape from New York. And again, if you've never watched okay. that movie, check it out. But um, here you go. 
we're at Panda Express. We got an extra order of Panda. I gave it to this guy nonchalantly off camera, and it turns out he lived down here. Kevin talked to him. He invited us down. He said he's cool to give us a tour for 20 bucks, so we're going to go down through the tunnel. My, my name is DJ. How deep do the tunnels go? How long would it take to get there? Oh, to, to very that? Yeah. Probably, it takes about five minutes, about three minutes to get there. Okay, and it goes right underneath the strip itself, yeah? Yes, some parts of it, yeah. How long have you lived down here? About three years. Three years. Three years. Is it comfortable to live down there? To me, yeah. Yeah. And how many people would you say live down there? All together? Yeah. Wow. Well, probably like 2,000. A lot of people out there. Are the government authorities cool with it? Do they try to get you guys out of here? The police come every other day arrest us. Really? I've been in jail like three to four times. Just for and living down there? Yeah, I guess it's against the law, I guess. Okay. I'm going to still do it. Yeah. As we approached the tunnel, I immediately saw the food I helped Holy Smoke pack in their car yesterday. They had already been here. Is it easy to see down there? No, look for Got clean points and stuff like that. Do I have clean points, like harm reduction stuff? We don't, we're not carrying harm reduction, unfortunately. So I brought water and I brought beef sticks if you're interested in some protein, brother. Okay. I probably wouldn't veer too far in here, though. Oh, oh, I'm just going to stand right here. All right. Okay. I mean, follow their advice, yeah? So I think one of the main things to keep in mind is it's not our house. What's up, bro? We're good to come in? Orange. With a bounty on our head and signs of holy smoke visiting here yesterday, I cautiously entered the tunnel and met one of their elders, Orange. How you doing, Orange? It's hot out here. Hey, brother, I brought you a gallon of water. Orange, how long have you been down here? Here's this. Is it easy to live down here? No. Is there anything you suggest they can do to help you guys get back on your feet? I mean, how many times have you gotten a lost at ID? A couple. Have you kind of given up at this point? No. Have you ever like gone to the end and back? Mm -hmm. Are you okay, I'm gonna pause because um, essentially for the listener, what yeah, we're looking at are what we're looking at are people that live in the tunnels under Las Vegas, and he's interviewing this guy. He says the main thing keeping him living in the tunnels is that he doesn't have an ID. And they, they kind of make the argument that that's a big problem for these folks in this video. Um, seems like a simple problem to solve, but it's kind of like, I, I think these people are basically just like, oh, let's see. Let's see how people do when we um, ignore them entirely. They're, they're trial balloons. They're, they're fucking, they're an experimental group. Yeah. And I would also be about the, the correlation with drug addiction. Yeah. Um, feed them, feed them fentanyl. Feed them exactly. Fentanyl. See what yeah. happens. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they are. They're a great big experiment. And I mean, why stop now? They've been doing it for decades. Experimenting mm -hmm. on the people. Actually, decades. What am I saying? Well, this Centuries. This is... This is just a just a squat, you know, somewhere. Um, there's there, this is all over the country. There, there's homeless yep. encampments uh, everywhere. I live. We've got uh, we've got we've got tunnels under Indianapolis with a bunch of homeless. I mean, it's it's probably every every single major city. Yep, I lived in my van in Seattle for a couple of summers, and and yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's basically like that. You just you know, you stay in your van um there's crazier stuff out there you know there's like this this uh forested area that was called the jungle which was just full of addicts and and the kind of bums you don't want to be around and that, that's the whole dynamic of of living on the streets is knowing who to deal with and not deal with most of them you don't deal with you you know like uh 
they'll, you know, like for a little bit before I started staying in my van, I was just camping. And, uh, and that was, that was crazy. Cause I'd get woke up in the middle of the night, people walk up to your tent and, be, and say, knock, knock, but you're allowed to just camp anywhere in Seattle. That's, that's the law there. So, um, yeah, uh, the streets are crazy. Um, and more and more people are, yes. are losing their, their homes and, uh, mm -hmm. and it's part, a big part to do with the, uh, the economy tanking. Um, I mean, well, look at all the money they printed and, and borrowed there. I mean, they've completely we, ruined our money. This is my point. We are living in a 1980s Kurt Russell dystopian John Carpenter movie. Well, Roddy, Roddy Piper, Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> Get it they right. Live. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they live. They live. Yeah. A controlled demolition. Yeah. So I, I skipped ahead a bit, but let me give you just a little more of this. So you know just exactly what's going on. Keep in mind, the guy said, uh, the other guy said, 2,000 people living underneath Las Vegas in the tunnels. It's crazy. Good to know, man. Yeah, this does feel a little sketchy. There's definitely a lot of mistrust. The right siders are watching us. We're going to head to the next one. After walking across the safe side of the channel, we saw people in the distance near the other tunnel's entrance and cautiously approached. Please knock your shot. Before I knew it, Kevin used his charisma and beef sticks to earn a safe passage into the tunnel. He invited us in to talk really Okay. Just between you and I, this is a little dangerous. Okay. And I soon met one of this tunnel's leaders. I'm here with Roy. Roy, how long you been down here? About six years. And what's this little guy's name? This is heathen. Ah, uh -huh. so how did you end up here in these tunnels? My mom died. I wound up in foster care. I came out of prison November 17th, 2017. So I got on the bus and I stopped at the bus stop across from Jack in the Box. Yeah, and here we are. And is it safe down here to live? Uh, it's every dirt rainy season. So when the rainy season comes, the floodgates open, you get drowned out of here? And do you want to get out of this tunnel? Well, honestly, uh, I'm not really a fan of society's way of doing things. Excuse me, outside. How many other outsiders are down here with you? Nine. Do you get along pretty well with everyone in here? Absolutely. Yeah. This is my family. Okay. We were walking along the left side here, and the guy said they would kill us. Is it actually dangerous for people that aren't from here to come down here? It depends. If you're come down here on some predator type shit or violent, might not work out too well. Okay. So you've had pretty crazy people come down here and try to harass you guys? Can you tell me a few? Top, throw this. Uh, okay. We got one dude actually trying to set the tunnel on fire. And is there anything you want the city to do for you guys? Or are you pretty content we down here? Yeah. Is uh, the drug use play a role down here, you think? The drugs. Okay. Yeah, I know that that audio is kind of rough, but he goes, uh, is there anything you want the city to do for you? He says, leave us the fuck alone. And then he says... Uh, do drugs have any, you know, part to play down here? And the guy says, you know, what drugs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> drugs? What so, drugs? So, I mean, it's just like, this is happening. This is happening. He's pretty pumped. He is pretty pumped. He explains. Uh, looks, I can, what I'm saying is he looks physically reasonably yeah, yeah. okay. Well, he just got out of prison. He just got uh, out of prison well, a few years yeah, okay. ago, but a handful of I years bet he, ago. Yeah. That's the way to, you know, that's the way to bide the time, you know, for sure. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, drugs are definitely playing a role down there. But uh, yeah. so we got the we got the drug issue. That's one of the reasons people end up in this stuff. But now we're importing third worlders and, you know, and basically exacerbating this problem. And and, you know, like the, all the people that they've dumped on New York recently and they've got this whole, you know, airport uh, airport that they're staying at. And then they're making them send their kids to a school that's miles and miles away. It's crazy. Like all, all the stuff that that's going on with this. But, you know, if you, you know, if you're not, you don't belong here, they should send them back. We have enough of our own problems. And, uh, you know, been saying that. But they're just tools. They're going to be used and then thrown yes. away, spat out. You know, chewed up and spat out. So when when they're no longer any use, you'll probably find that a whole bunch of separated families will either be sent back or possibly collected into the camps. The I, I've camps. been saying this the the replacement theory that you know that we talk about sometimes, and uh, you know we we know it well as the Kalergi plan. If you're if you're astute, but the uh, the replacement is not like it replacements the nice word for it what these third worlders are here for is when they cut that power like we talked about before they're here to kill you and and everybody needs to know that that that's you know that's the thing that's going on that's the the layer that a lot of people are just not talking about or maybe just hasn't haven't grasped it yet but these people okay they come from a place where they didn't have power anyway. And we come from a place where we're going to lose it if we don't have air conditioning. You know, the people in America have been soft and softer for years and years. And, you know, guys like that, that are living in those, those, you know, squats and slums and stuff like that, they're going to eat these city people alive whenever things go down. So, you know, be ready for that. Cause like the, the real, the real danger in the world is not, you know, like I know Stella lives in Australia amongst a bunch of, bunch of snakes and spiders and stuff like that. But snakes and spiders are nothing whenever it comes Lizards. to a human looking for resources and, and you looking like a target. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's true. When, um, yeah, you, you're dead right. We're so reliant on electricity and stuff. We're just going to lose it if we can't even use the phone for an hour. I mean... <laughs> It's ridiculous. They've definitely got it up on us. I mean, it's about dilution, diluting the, all races, really. It's not just whites. They just want dilution and sameness, 50 shades of beige, you know. So it's a very long-term plan, certainly, for sure. Yeah, we've definitely seen it, it play out so much that, that we can't deny that it's real. You know, it's it's one of those things that was like, uh, it, even if you look it up on Wikipedia right now, it'll say that it, that it's a uh, anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theory, and you know, it, yeah, it's it's freaking real. And how is it anti-Semitic? I I never figured that out. I mean, I know that uh, uh, Kalergi himself was a Mischling, so you know, but but barely. It's not like you know, it's not like he was like a Henry Kissinger or you know, or even like a Chuck Schumer, but you know, definitely it's a thing that's going on. I mean, I guess if you dig deeper and you find out which, you know, who's behind importing a lot of these people, because you find a lot of, uh, a lot of Israeli NGOs bringing in people and helping them right when they get to the borders of a lot of places, you can see boats from Africa landing in Greece and, uh, and they're just 
welcoming welcoming them in and the greeks are greeks are pissed about it right now a lot of this stuff you know you're going to see it go off in europe a little bit before it goes off here but it's going to go off for sure europe's absolutely look it's all the same everywhere this is a global thing this is all lockstep um sweden the netherlands the UK. I've read, you know, a couple of times lately, I've read the similar statistic that it's like about 36% white now, which that, boy, that happened fast. Um, This has been going on for a very long time. And uh, it's, it really is us versus them. It's the whole, I mean, Kissinger's been always in the scenes there. That's why he's probably the only person I'd absolutely celebrate once he died. Um, Council of Foreign Relations, the Committee of 300, it's all them, it's all them at the helm engineering this for an extremely long time. It is us versus them. It's as simple as that. It really is. And it's all happening right under the noses. Look at all these people. Like It's been said over and over again in this echo chamber of the fighting age men coming in, very few women. Uh, right. They are not got no connection with the Western society. In fact, they probably hate Western society. Um, they have no connection with the people. Uh, they just completely different way of thinking. And again, what we just went over with electricity and that, and it's going on right under the noses. So, and everyone's talking about, we can't let this happen and blah, blah, blah. Nothing's actually happening. Like what is going to happen? Eventually it's going to be, well, we're going to have to rise up and fight for our lives perhaps. Or is that a whole bunch of fear porn as well? Do they have some other plan? Well, you, you know that uh, the United States meddles in all of these countries and um, and there's so much stuff that, that goes on with uh, with our CIA and uh, and our military intelligence that we don't even know about it. We don't even know that some countries just hate the crap out of the United States because of, of policies from uh, from our intelligence agencies and our military. And so whenever whenever they come over here and they hate you and they want to destroy you. It's, you know, it, it's something that you had nothing to do with, but it's, you know, it, it's definitely something, you know, an ax that they've been grinding for a really long time. You know, it's like, um, yeah, there, there's going to be crazy things happening and, uh, and we've just got to pay attention and, you know, be ready to defend yourself and others and, uh, and, you know, keep, keep food, keep drive food, canned food, keep spare water, keep the things that you can keep and, you know, hope that you don't end up being a loot drop for, you know, somebody that, that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> yep. I, um, I question the division of countries anyway. I think that's an illusion still. I think we're, we're already under the, the new world order. They, they are already the umbrella, the self-appointed umbrella that are calling the shots. Let's look at what's happening. happening. Who just decided that they're going to be in charge of our health and the government's just decided that they can do whatever they want under an executive order. Um, the decision makers and policy makers are all all infiltrated. The attorney generals are all in on it. Um, it just goes on and on and on. And it's like, well, we are already in a new world order. We just don't quite realise it. It's the same with everything else. We already have the digital ID. We already have the social credit system. We're already kind of in the metaverse. It's the illusion of it still coming and we're not part of it, so don't worry yet. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've... I'm holding a tracking device right now. I mean, that that's what your phone does. It tells everywhere you go, everywhere you've been, you know. Yep, there's, it, none of this would have been possible without the phone. Well, it would have been a lot harder, put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it, it's weird cuz it's, you know, it it 
enhances our lives so much that we become dependent on it. But it's it, it is the thing that's really just sucking our souls away. The Black Mirror. Yeah. Apparently, uh, it's some it's technology that came from from stuff that John Dee wrote about like ages ago. Uh, and he was yeah, okay. yeah, he was the astrologer to Elizabeth One, and uh, and really, I just heard that on Drew's show. But I would love to talk to Jen about it because I bet Jen knows more about it. Um, and John Dee is also the the guy whose book that my friend had that um, I mentioned on uh, on Subconscious Realms uh, that that I was starting to get uh, attacked by a demon because I was trying to get rid of this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm working on um, getting somebody on a show somewhere um, at the moment about. Yeah, done a lot of work on John D, so it should be interesting if we can do that. Awesome. Yeah, you should you should get Jin on that if he has the uh the info. I know that they've covered it on subconscious realms before. Hmm. Well, I thought we had a interesting comment from Western Civ uh saying every society is three meals away from chaos. I tend to agree. Um you know to me, I think about with like the Beanie Babies and the Tulips, right? This was before you joined us, Ando, but these bubbles of commodities, these currencies that are boom and bust cycles, they're mind, the mind viruses, like they're a luxury of people who can afford not to live in the real world. Like, oh, yeah, and- like those toys the the taiko toys is that what they're called yeah, the ones yeah, with the big yeah. heads or the yeah. uh, fidget spinners remember when that that became a fad for one summer um, sure yeah yeah people go nuts over over stupid materialistic things that are just completely pointless i mean i i guarantee you that that a majority of people in our age group are more concerned about about what's going on with video games than they are about the real world. Well, this is what I'm getting at, man. I'm like, I'm like, it's such a luxury. You know, it makes me think of like simulation theory, right? Like none of these people that live in the sewers wonder well, whether or not we live in a simulation. None of uh, them, none, none of them have, have questions about their identity. They, they don't worry about this bullshit. They don't, they don't buy beanie babies. Like, am I making any sense? It's like this, yeah. this, these, these bullshit things are such a luxury for those that don't, that don't have to worry about survival. It's, it's it was the, Funko. The, the matrix has most of us. Yes. The matrix has uh, us, but it, you know, so I don't know. W- people are willingly plugging themselves into something else though. And so that's that's why I don't I don't like simulation theory. I I I've said it before. I think that I I think it's just it's just kind of a cop out. Um, in fact, uh, talked about this on Friday with Drizzle as well because you know that that this is a prison planet, right? And uh and I I told him how much his ideas sounded like like just the general the general basis of Scientology, not the uh not the full overall, but yeah, that we're locked in this prison planet. Um, I don't know about that though. I think that that we can make 
or break this, you know, that, that because, and this is why I love free will so much. Um, we just need to, we need to get our crap together because, oh yeah, wait, this is the, what the fuck form. We need to get our shit together because like, look at these turds, look at, look at, you know, gay ass Yuval Noah Harari and, uh, and Dr. Fauci and all these, all these pieces of shit. Like those people get to rule us. Fucking Bill Gates, bitch, did Bill Gates. <laughs> that we're gonna get ruled by these fuckers? No, no, absolutely not. You know, like, like we we can't let this shit happen. We we need to fucking wake up. We need to get our fucking heads out of our phones and our heads out of our fucking video games and our heads out of our fucking asses and fucking do some shit. Like the guy who fucking beheaded uh, Baphomet. That guy's a fucking hero. It's very hard, though, isn't it? I mean, you sort of think, yeah, we need to get out and do more stuff, but it's surprisingly difficult to put that damn thing down. I um, I resisted for a long time when the mobile phones came out. I used to sit, sit on the train station when I was still living in Sydney, going into town, whatever, and just watch everyone else with their heads down and just, I was just going, wow, I just... I, I can't believe how many people are doing this. This was pretty early days, but um, and you know, I mean, eventually it sucked me in too. But I did, I did resist for a number of years, and um, yeah, how quickly it gets, you know. I mean, I fight it myself. I watch my mum fight it. <laughs> She's an absolute addict. She plays billiards on. <laughs> she loves it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> She's probably better than me. Um, so I have to take her to the pub and just <laughs> see if it's worked. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's very very strong addictive drug. Like, put all the drugs together, and I think you've you've got some sort of competition with the uh, the internet. Right. Definitely. Well, I mean, we got the binge watching, but then you know, like you said, you know, go to the pub, meet some real people. But the pub's another escape too. You know, it's it, it's yeah. Everyone sits around like, on the poker uh, machines, losing their money. <laughs> yeah, but also just alcohol in general. It's to, you know, first of all, it's it, it is an actual drug, you know, and and we should look at it that way. Um, and and yeah, it's an escape, and we're not escaping the matrix by getting deeper into it. it it's just such a shame that that every single thing is is gamified now. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I I just started checking into dating apps, and and it's it's a fucking video game it's 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 a video game that you know like if you win you know you 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 know you get to meet a great human hopefully or you get to meet a piece of shit human who knows but you know it's still a fucking video game uh like i i was doing my my ancestry that's a fucking video game it's like oh we got a hint and so you know you can't just fucking tell me no you got to give me hints and like gamify this and send me little dopamine hits every now and then Fuck that. Mm. Like, like, I'm so fucking sick of everything being fucking gamified. That's what I like, mean about we, we're in the metaverse yeah. already because I totally yeah. agree and I, I've noticed it myself, yeah. It's, a, it's definitely a, a worthy ob- observation for sure. They yeah. And everything into a game and everything like for children so it's all really easy to work out and there's all nice bright colours everywhere and, you know, it's just like they've created this little nursery for us. Yeah. So that they're hacked- looking after us. They've hacked the human brain, basically, because they figured out what was the right combination of bright 
colors and because I've heard people say if you put your phone on black and white only you use it way way less um like if you put it in monochrome so they definitely have hacked the Mm -hmm. color sound visual uh light you know brightness which is frequencies yes so you've just taken a whole bunch of frequencies away so yeah so they that's one part of it but then the other part that I wanted to speak to was that people have Okay, two things. On the gamification, Allison McDowell has been talking about this for a long time, that this is getting more and more and more, and it's going to be tied in with social credit as well. Your behavior, your responding, it'll be tied under psyops like lifelong learning, um, things like that. But everything is going to be gamified and then tokenized and you know all this. She has talked about that a good amount. So that, that's true and a good point, Ando. And the other thing that I wanted to say was that this ties in with the public education schooling as well, because it was designed to to be and create good workers, not good thinkers. They didn't want creativity. They didn't want people who questioned the narrative. They wanted people who were just smart enough to learn the thing that they wanted them to learn to work in the factory. Yep, but workers now, and drones. Yes, and now the the narrative is changing and that is why you're seeing this further degradation and deterioration of society because that's where they want it now. But it has taken a really Mm -hmm. long time to descend to this point and to get people so indoctrinated. Um, But it's got, you know, it's Yuri Bezmanov. It's gotten worse every generation and you have all the things you have, the drugs, the distractions, the keeping people in a slave, a paycheck mentality as opposed to a creative entrepreneur mentality, that's all been done intentionally. And Absolutely. And, you know, you know when, when did government become appoint themselves to be our protectors? That's not what government's for. They're just meant to be there to organise, you know, infrastructure and that kind of thing, sort of keep things running like a business. They're not our doctors or our medicos. When did that suddenly happen? When did they suddenly have to, you know, tell us what to do with our bodies? Like, when did that happen? <laughs> Twenty twenty. When they wasn't decided it? they own you, yeah, that's. But they, that they that has also been a slow drip, you know, because Absolutely. they even already had, you know, the the quaxine schedule for kids going into school and this was required and whatever so it's, it has been a slow drip but oh absolutely yeah. and and I think they picked you know the 2020 is sort of like that's their clear vision their clear yeah. vision coming together you know it's like the slap in the face yet again okay this is the thing we've got 10 years 2030 whatever it is um so yeah I mean that's probably going to be their downfall is making things happen a bit too fast it already has been hasn't it yeah too many people waking up so now it's a race of the psyches and well, Horace. Is- I, I'm sorry. Uh, give me one second, Andrew. Western Civ said that Horace Mann wanted to beat the French. He invented parochial school system. It worked. He wanted to get away from raising an army of levies and creating a permanent generation of soldiers. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, they don't want thinkers. They want soldiers. I mean, it's like when you want to join the police, and it's probably even lower now, but a couple of years ago, if you want to join the police, you know, I mean, that. They don't really want people with high IQs or, or respect to police. And I'm talking about maybe certain precincts in Australia or whatever, but I think it's pretty much global. They don't want people that are thinkers. They don't want people that are going to 
ask questions and buck the system a little bit. They just want the foot soldiers. So um, you don't really next? have to be that smart. To And you look at some of those What's... police, it's like you, they, they couldn't run longer than, you know, 20 metres and they'd be completely Oh, they don't need those guys. Fat. They got yeah. the the Dildalics and the uh and the drones and the dogs and that that's what's coming yeah they do now next, you know exactly Robocop well, is coming true now where did I just I think it was Israel no don't quote me it was somewhere just recently purchased might have even been Ukraine purchased some of those robot dogs Boston Dynamics yep yeah those things yep about um half a dozen of them or something because I remember thinking oh that's not very many for a whole area but. That's the ones they're letting us know about, I suppose. <laughs> it's all right. It's only six thousand. <laughs> yeah. 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 If uh, people adopted a mentality of destroying robots whenever you saw it, uh, that would be a good thing. <laughs> oh, then they'll just put machine guns on it. <laughs> Which will justify Lasers. our destruction. So that's that's fine. You know, um, you just gotta. I'm good. You're with my plasma gun. Yeah, <laughs> that it's that phase is going to be fun when we're fighting robots. Actually, it's going to suck because um, because the drones can just come right out of the sky and, you know, you you won't even see it before it's too late. Um, but yeah, like I, don't, I don't know. It, yeah, I don't know what the what the budget is. You know, they I mean, all of this money, they not only did they print all that money, they said that they were giving it to us. They weren't giving it to us. <laughs> Basically, um, they ripped everybody off, and uh, and this whole thing is a scam. So all that money went to running the uh, the programs in foreign countries because the United States fit the bill for that. Like basically, the United States paid the bill to create the tyranny that happened in 2020 or 2021 is really whenever that. Um, well, no, it was 2020. So. Um, and a lot of that money, like just like this Ukraine money, is ending up in the pockets of corrupt people. And so we don't know. I mean, they they might be able to uh, create the uh, the uh, drone or, uh, army that we could have to contend with. But you know, the first layer of it, I think, it's going to be third worlders. Yeah, I mean, it's only what is it, 110 years since the formation of the Federal Reserve. This is almost like the culmination of that whole scam because that was a scam from the start. Um, so next year, which they say is going to be a really bad year, but, you know, don't fear. Uh, that's 111 years, which is kind of symbolic, symbolically, <laughs> symbolically speaking. Um, I, I don't, can't tell you what it is, Jin. Um, no, he's not here, is he? <laughs> but anyway, just pointing it out, 111. The whole 11 thing comes up a lot. It's, another, it's a palindrome as well. Yeah, you know what? Next year is going to be fucking great. That, uh, that's what I'm predicting. We're we're going to get you know more and more. We're going to rack up. We're going to win and win and win, and we're going to get so sick of winning, just like that one guy said. <laughs> Love it. Love the optimism, Ando. I do. I do. Yeah, maybe that's what it's going to take: is everyone to be optimistic. <laughs> the collective energy. It works. That that actually works. Um, but you know, you've got to do it. You got to do it the right way. You know, you got to get your optimism from the right place. And that, you know, that right place is, is through Christ. You know, don't, don't sit here and do some, some, you know, uh, bullshit Oprah magic secret, you know, dream board shit, 
you know, like <laughs> pray, pray and you make know, good things happen you, in your world. You know, Ando, I think you're hitting on, you know, I, if, if y'all are game, I think I got another like half hour worth of shit we could talk about that is right along the lines of what you're, what you're saying, Ando. And it has to do with one of the most beloved of American celebrity actors. And whether or not you can just will things into existence. You know, ask, ask the I'm universe, up. ask I'm the universe right. for it. Um, yeah, here, let me just, let me, that that's plenty of front loading. Um, there's a big crossover with all this because some people call it the law of attraction and the secret and all that stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, with whatever it is, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, you can. You can instigate certain things. It's quite frightening when it you sort of see it happen and it's like, oh, I didn't actually mean for that to happen <laughs> or something. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, oh, just little reminders. It's pretty powerful stuff, actually. Well, I'm not going to try to, like, connect the dots too much here i think the dots will connect themselves but for whatever reason after going through all of the things that i thought about to put this show together jim carrey came to mind at the very end so we'll see we'll see what you think at yeah i'm gonna play a few minutes we'll take a pause and then i'm gonna jump uh ahead in this video the real jim carrey like I don't exist. You're all characters. I'm losing control. Including Jim Carrey. Oh my God, Why are we here? And I ultimately found what is this? That even the me I created wasn't real. Who the hell is Jim Carrey? You have such an incredible talent. For physical comedy where did that come from desperation desperation <laughs> <laughs> i had a sick mom man i wanted to make her feel better when i was a kid i spent half my time in the living room performing for people i spent the other half the time in my bedroom by myself writing poetry and sketching i was a, an odd kid because you couldn't punish me i was not the type of kid you could say as a punishment, go to your room. Because my room was heaven to me. Yeah, I just created a world in there, man. It was fantastic. And I would sit. I was a little kid. And I would try to figure out what it meant. I had pad, legal pads of this is what the meaning of the universe is. Why are we here? What is this? When I was a little kid, I would stare into the mirror for hours. All the other kids are out playing and doing whatever. Got my promises, promises that. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get Johnny Mathis. He's trying to get his voice down, you know, so that I could have something to bring to the party. I mean, I was a very self-centered kid. Because I've done that stuff since I was a little kid. I'm mean, staring in the mirror and being the great. And I actually wrote myself a check. And this is for real. This is not a joke. I wrote a check out to myself for $10 million dollars or acting services rendered. $10 million per picture. See, this is by it. Thanksgiving 1995. Wow, look and at that. This is the actual, yeah. don't wreck it. So I don't want it, this is silly. I guess, you know, what I own, when you think about it, is, is my faith. That's what I own. Some faith in the universe, faith in myself, yeah. yeah. 
I didn't know that Ace Ventura was going to be my shot. My guest this evening is currently in the belly of the... All right, I'm going to pause there because um, I found I found you know a lot of what he was saying kind of intriguing. Uh, Jim Carrey does seem to have made his way into stardom through faith. Maybe blind luck. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Yeah, dumb luck, if you will. But he became the highest paid actor in Hollywood history. Almost overnight. I don't know. Again, my brain just went to Jim Carrey. I'm like, I'm like this. I don't know. He's certainly an interesting cat. I think I've uh, read a few things, you know, about him being possibly a created character, you know, like the uh, so many others. But who knows? Maybe he uh, was MK and then he his programming broke. Sort of what it looks like from the outside. I don't know. I haven't really delved into the guy too much. He's, I like him. Yeah, I, I'm with Stella. I think there's a lot of possibilities with Jim Carrey, and I think that he has become this very, very interesting character, right? Because everybody thought he was a silly comedian. And then he was dating Jenny McCarthy, and then he was dating this other gal who ended up killing herself. And um, then he appeared to, what Stella said, have like – a mental break in a way. Not that a lot of what he was saying didn't make sense. It did, but it was odd. It was odd behavior done in an odd way compared to how he had been before. And then it, uh, it seemed like, Oh, well, he's actually awake to a lot of stuff, right? Like this stuff doesn't matter. This material stuff, all this. And then when it comes to Trump derangement syndrome, he had it. So then he like lost it. So it's like what you were co-opted by the psyop too, by the Trump psyop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or is this more of you? Like what Stella was saying, being a creative person, just trying to, to, to lead people that may question the narrative or to contribute to making them look crazy. I think uh, he's extremely intelligent. And uh, and one day somebody came up to him and said, hey, you got to do this. And he's like, yeah, it's not really my brand. And they said, well, hey, we made you and we can break you. And he he did what they told him to do. You know, that that's. Yeah, that's typical. that that or he has like a very um, I almost get the impression he really has like a. A hefty conscience. And he wants to be good. He wants to be right. He wants to help. But that can almost work against you. Um, This video here is a montage of Jim Carrey woke moments. I think it's, you know, it's semi-telling. I want to think he's a genuine character, even if he is misled. You know, we're in a tough spot. It's a very, very divided world. And uh, and uh, those on uh, the, uh, I guess you'd call it the left side. I, I just call it the, the sensible side is, you know, we're sitting there watching this nonsense happen. And people like Sean Spicer come out and talk about it like we're, we're kindergartners, you know. And uh, covering for this president is like putting makeup on a melanoma. 
spend your whole life imagining ghosts, worrying about the pathway to the future, but all there will ever be is what's happening here and the decisions we make in this moment, which are based in either love or fear. And uh, of course, there's a there's a moment when one of the characters loses a very important show, and I lost the Tonight Show one time. You know, when I came down to L.A., I was slated to go on at the Tonight Show, and I had a bad set at the Improv playing around. And the next day, they told me I I'd lost the show, which was you know curtains for anybody at that time, you know, pretty much. But I have this weird fail-safe thing that kicks in for me, and and I go, well, there's a side window. Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Uh, I just, uh, you know, there's no meaning to any of this. So I, uh, I wanted to find the most meaningless thing that I could come to and join. And, uh, and, uh, and here I am. I just wanted to see what would happen if you stayed until they got tired. <laughs> They say they're celebrating icons inside. Celebrating icons. icons. Boy, that is just the absolute lowest aiming, you know, possibility that we could come up with. It's like icons. What do you do? You believe in icons? I don't I believe in personalities. I don't believe that you exist, but there is a, a wonderful fragrance in the air. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it. I'm saying I'm the proof that you can ask the universe for it. Usually people sit down during the, the biggest part of the applause. Yeah, right, yeah. So I, I thought I would, I would see what, that, what that's like, that space. And so okay, I'm, I'm going to pause because... I just like he strikes me as a man who in some ways has broken out of the matrix and like manipulates his own environment instead of letting his environment manipulate him. But at the, at the same time, like he almost strikes me as the guy that sold his soul to the devil for success and fame and fortune at the same well, time. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We always see, demons depicted as as scary entities and uh and you know when let's not forget that you know that satan was the most beautiful angel right you know, you know that's it's a really good it's point why that he could he could he can sit here and and have his you know uh belief that the universe is god and you just have to ask the universe and everything like that i used to think the same way and I, I, you know, he did a movie on this, by the way, the movie was Yes Man, was like saying yes to everything was kind of the, uh, you know, was kind of basically the equivalence of this, of this philosophy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he's convoluted it and, you know, it, and, you know, Satan's the God of this world. So you get rewarded for your actions here and you can believe that you're working for, you know, positive forces in the universe while reaping all of these rewards. And that's why a lot of these, you know, new agey idea people end up seeming pretty good and all right. And we're hanging out with, but they're also very worldly people. And, uh, and 
you know, that that's not where our heart should be set is on the world because, you know, worldly profit doesn't you mean know, anything weird, in the end. The weird thing with Jim Carrey is I have this feeling like every role he ever took has significance. Almost like there was a, there was a, um, how would you say like a character arc from mm-hmm. one movie to the next that it's, seemed, yeah. that seemed very much to be a reflection of him as a person. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, it could be sort of more specific to him, but I, I know this, I don't even know how to put this into words properly, but I've, I've had this little sort of thought a few times about, um, no. Oh. Okay, so we say that life's like a script and we're on, you know, everything's a stage and what have you, clown show. I just wonder also sometimes that, you know, they say that things hide in plain sight. I mean, that I, I think that goes for both sides. I think it's just, this is a crazy idea. I'm just chucking it out there. I think sometimes maybe some characters or perhaps some events or things that get our attention are actually giving us the answers helping us like tutoring tutoring us through if we if we happen to take notice um and i think that's also part of our dumbing down that they have had to create is to make us less sharp notice less things how many people go outside and they still don't look up at the sky they still don't know that there's lines up there they still don't know that there's <laughs> manufactured weather um because they just don't look up they just not curious. The curiosity has been knocked out of people. And at the same time, when people do get curious, the boot comes down so hard that that curiosity is becomes a, you're a terrorist. You're dangerous because you're curious, you know? So I, I, I just wonder sometimes, bouncing this completely out there, um, take me away in a straitjacket, but I just do wonder if we sometimes miss characters that give us keys and, and ways of getting through certain things, um, mm. you know, whether it be God, whatever, whatever your God is, that's great. Just get right with him or her or it. Well, well again, like I almost feel like Jim Carrey is an example of someone who does have a thumb on the pulse of the true nature of reality. Like he's almost a dangerous, a dangerous personality for Hollywood from what I can see. Or it's... on the other side, is he placed there as like I'm sort of saying, like a string, hmm. a, a tutor, a, a not mentor, that's not the right, right word, but you know what I'm saying? I... Makes me think of Chappelle, you know, because Chappelle actually has had some dangerous things to say, but most of the time he, he toes the line. Um, yeah, but, but it gives you enough uh, reason he, to think he might he might be one of us to an, and they're contemporaries. to a degree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, let's talk about Chaffel for just a moment. I don't I didn't know anything much about him. I'll make this really brief. Um I was invited and given a you know, shouted a night away to go and watch Dave Chappelle live in Brisbane in in Australia a few months ago. When I mentioned it to my American friends, they're all like, "Oh, excellent, excellent. That's going to be so good. It's going to be so funny." It's like, "Okay, great. Looking forward to it." Have a bit of a laugh. Anyway, I just came along. I didn't think it was excellent at all. I thought he was yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it. Let's just say that. I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was a very bad vibration. I thought it was a very bad – just everything about it was bad. <laughs> the whole night was bad. Um, 
and it was not what I was expecting. It was quite sort of disappointing in the way he'd been built up. And since then, and I, and I have said that to my friends, it's like, oh, well, I guess, you know, maybe you don't get him or whatever. But I've also heard people say lately, well, not lately, but a, f- a few times since, that Chappelle is different now. Like th- somehow it's changed with him. Something's changed. So I don't know whether, I don't know him before beforehand, but he, a lot of people had a very good opinion of him. So I couldn't see it myself. I could see that he was kind of funny and everything, but he was just so, it was so crass and so crude and, you know, there were children in the audience with no warnings or anything. They shouldn't have been there. Um, it, like it was, I'm not really easily shockable, but I was shocked on behalf of a few people. Well, I don't know. I, I would make the argument you should think twice before taking your kids to see any comedian and you should do your homework. You know, Chappelle has always been crass and vulgar. Oh, yeah, I agree. Hmm. So... I leave that on the parents' shoulders. Um, but if I may, I do want to kind of go back to Jim Carrey. Uh, I jumped ahead a bit. Uh, is this the right one? I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. No. Just the point with that was that something may have changed with some of these people. That's the point of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here, I think I think it's worth going a little deeper here and trying to get into the personality of Jim. Because he he self-proclaims the fact that he almost doesn't even know who the fuck he is. The Mask gave Carrie two big hits in less than six months. Dumb and Dumber looking to make it three in 94, Carrie's life has been utterly transformed. Everybody knows me now, you know. it's uh, I got what I wanted and, and now I have to live with it. And is it a good thing that you got what you wanted? After The Mask, Jim's six-figure film salary went through the roof. The comedian-turned-actor, who was reportedly paid $350,000 for Ace Ventura and $450,000 for The Mask, signed on to star in Dumb and Dumber for $7 million. We're talking serious upward mobility here. He's the only star in history to have three films that grossed over $100 million in one year. Carrie was finally laughing himself all the way to the bank. Sorry, fellas. Box office numbers are often suspect, but there is only one conclusion from the financial results of Jim Carrey's movies. Audiences are buying what he's selling. Ace Ventura, $72 million, 50% bigger at $108 million, $127 million, $119 million, $60 million growth, and Liar Liar, $181 million at the North American box office. If you add in the international figures, he has grossed more than a billion dollars. In Jim Carrey's world, over the top has no meaning. And now it seems his career knows no bounds. Are you overwhelmed by all this? Completely. Eight, I've and now lost you're, it. Yeah, you're. It's you're, time to go. It. What? <laughs> Coming out of that, of those three films, mm-hmm. which grossed all that money, somebody, you, your agent, your lawyer says, if you look at how much these films did, you are looking at the first twenty million dollar man. The cable guy. <laughs> you were the first one to get a twenty million dollar movie, right? That's what they say. Is there a problem with your service? People, do you think they're going to judge you more harshly now, knowing they've got the 20 million? I'll rarely take advantage of all my services. Let me help you wash up. Audiences didn't embrace it like they did the others. What happened with Cable Guy? Uh, I, I liked Cable Guy a lot. Jim Carrey tried a more serious role in The Cable Guy in 1996, and it was his lowest 
grossing picture. I just wanted to be your friend. But I think more than anything, it was a misconception of what it was going to be. You just need help. We all get lonely. This is a really gutsy thing for Jim Carrey to do. Yeah, but I get really lonely. I certainly don't want to play it safe my whole life. I think the danger is uh, that you start um, patronizing your audience. I can be your best friend or your worst enemy. You have to take the chance of losing a few people because you do gain others. I have more colors than just the ones I've shown so far. Jim Carrey, the funniest guy on earth. Don't you do something? What am I, a puppet? Yeah, hi. You say jump and I say how high? No, I want them to know that it's a choice. I don't want to be the kind of human that just in interjects with something funny all the time. Nice to meet you, folks. Fire at bell here. It's important. <laughs> because otherwise, you're just a sad person. They don't care. Don't you understand? I'm expendable. Lord, <laughs> help, man. Get me out. <laughs> Pausing there. Pausing there. It's right before they get into the Truman Show. Which to me is one of the more telling roles that he ever played. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about all the stuff that he's been in. And, you know, mm -hmm. I used to work at Blockbuster. So I, you know, and right in the late 90s as his career was just blowing up. So, yeah. That last guy he was just sitting with was a guy called Ray Martin. He's an Australian television anchor. He used to do the midday show. Yeah, he's... um. I think he's a bit of a sellout too. <laughs> as far as um, the recent things go. Anyway, well, that would have been the 80s, hey. I suppose. Yeah. You know what's cool about us? We're probably never going to sell out. <laughs> I, yeah, I sure probably. hope not. At least <laughs> not for any less than like $10 million. <laughs> you gotta, every man has his price. Hey, we, should have, we should have a code word just in case. You know, so that, yeah, because that person you wouldn't be able to tell you like, hey, bro, I'm sorry that I sold out, but it was a deal I couldn't refuse. Yeah. Armadillo, bro. Armadillo, bro. <laughs> Armadillo. <laughs> well, you armadillo. Know, are y'all are y'all familiar with Truman Show as a concept? This this idea that there's this guy who like unbeknownst to him is at the center of the entire universe. And everybody knows who he is, even though he doesn't know that everybody knows who he is. Like, this is but, like a it's simulation theory yeah. kind of movie. Yeah. And major predictive programming for just the overall spy apparatus. And yeah. NPCs. NPCs, sort of main character syndrome. There's so much uh, that you could draw from Truman Show. Stella, have yes. you seen it? Uh, many years ago, yeah. So yeah. I do know conceptually, and I sort of remember bits of it. And I remember the end. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, yep. Interesting. Well, let me let me play this on a bit more. Uh, you know, I I hope we're not going longer than anybody wants, but I'm having fun. I hope y'all are having fun. Fuck it, let's go. The red light's still flashing. One point seven billion were there for his birth. An entire human life recorded on an intricate network of hidden cameras. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, enclosed in the largest studio ever constructed. It's the Truman Show! We've become bored with 
watching actors give us phony emotions. This is the script that I've been thinking my whole life. There's nothing fake about Truman himself. Maybe I'm being set up for something. You ever think about that, Marlon? To play the most famous person on the planet. First guest, one of the most popular actors in the entire universe. Jim Carrey! Was it kind of a natural thing for me to step into? If anyone should be used to the world watching their heavy moves, it's Jim Carrey. Like your whole life has been building towards something? Where shall we go? Where shall we go? Jim is in a tornado of fame that no one can understand what it would be like to be in there. Are there any, are there any drawbacks to success? I want to get away, see some of the world, explore. I guess, you know, the fact that I never go out anymore. I had all the feelings of paranoia and everything that, that go with it at the beginning. I think I'm mixed up in something. Everybody knows everything you do. They're pretending to me. You know, I really hope people enjoy it. And I hope they come to it with unprejudiced by my past. I can't imagine being in the middle of that and the challenges that that creates and how it affects your life and how you have to keep sane within it. It's fake. It's all for you. I don't understand. And know that I'm portraying a human being who who is uh, fun to watch, but not, you know, he's not the zany guy. He's not a performer. He's a prisoner. Look at him. Look at what you've done to him. At a time when celebrities like Carrie himself seem to live inside media fishbowls, this is a thoughtful, entertaining, challenging movie about the way the rest of us live right along with them vicariously. You've been quiet lately. Yeah, sorry, just focused on the edit today. Sorry, that part here is like an ad. Um, skip ahead, but you know, okay, let me just interject by saying I find it interesting that he eventually played the Grinch. Yeah, a, reclu a reclusive grump who hates Christmas and wants to ruin it for everybody. It's almost like I can see. I can see this man's psyche on display through his characters. And again, I'll point out that he has multiple times like expressed this concept of like Jim Carrey is a character he plays. He doesn't even quite understand that character. So we might not be sellouts, but we're all we all do podcasts. And isn't it weird, you know, to have even just the the couple of hours a week that we we put out on display for the world you know i mean it, sure we don't get anywhere near the kind of views that uh that jim carrey gets but there it is a it is a kind of weird feeling and you yeah. know like going yeah. back and listening to old episodes and stuff like that and remembering you know for me because i'm in a different place nearly every time i'm broadcasting like remembering you know oh i was home that weekend that's why i was home or you know Hey, I know I was in Atlanta in a, uh, in you know a drop yard during that episode. I it's interesting just for that sake, but you know I, I guess Truman never got to watch himself. But yeah, everybody was in on it, and that was uh, that was fun. He was the only real person, but he was also the only fake person in a weird way too. I almost think it's like there's the um, like emotional toll of other people um, bearing witness to your existence, right? Is sort of part of the theme of the Truman Show, and uh, 
And the sickest part of the Truman show is the fact that he didn't do it voluntarily, that he was a, a true prisoner to the show that was his life, which is like the horrifying thought of like simulation theory or like whether or not we have free will or not you know yeah. like, or just life yeah because like we're yeah, born and then yeah. suddenly we have this birth certificate that we had no say in it's all got our let our name our supposed name written in capital letters um and we are a dead entity so owned by corporations so uh we are in our own truman show there's no doubt about that that wasn't voluntary i entered in, i was heard- entered i was entered into a contract that i knew nothing about how can that be real and legal Mm-hmm. They have they have files with with uh, the blood of of all, everyone that's ever been born. Like they yep. they keep them for I forgot how many years now. I think it was that's why they seven. That's why they do that heel prick thing when the babies are first born and they're just whisked off. Nobody asks you anything. Um, whisked off and stabbed basically in the back of the foot, uh, and you know squeezed this little baby's foot squeezed so that they bleed. Onto the card, and we've got to get three. We've got to fill in this, these three circles on this card and get them to be fully, like not just a drop. We've got to make sure this whole circle's filled in. And it's like, <laughs> they're squeezing the foot of this newborn baby you've just gone through. <laughs> oh my god, it's just the most horrendous thing. And yeah, it's just sort of like the sh- a sheep dip line. Um, you have no say in anything, and of course, having a you know baby, you sort of at everyone's mercy and you don't know what's going on, especially for the first mm-hmm. one. You don't, you're not going to start kicking up a fuss about anything. Cause you don't know. I wasn't told any of that. I don't think that many people are. I was never told well. the first thing they do is they take the baby away and they do this. It's just like, Oh, what's happening now? Oh, really? That doesn't feel right. <laughs> I don't know. Yet again. I, don't, I don't know about Australia, but three quarters of boys in America are circumcised too. God knows what they do with all that foreskin. Oh, when a Paltrow that... puts it on her face. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, the, te- the technically it was it was Sandra Bullock, but I wouldn't oh, be sorry. surprised if Gwyneth does it also. I have seen her, yeah, promote that as well. So yeah, the, the yeah. two of them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they've, they've yeah, don't skin. don't support her in her cunt candle business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no. Yeah. The monsters that rule us believe that we're livestock and they're the ones that don't get swallowed. Well, and this is kind of my thing with Jim Carrey is like, I, I feel like at different times he has realized he is livestock and at other times he has unwittingly just done it. Right. But I, I I almost think that, uh, God damn. It's like, he's, He's a smart guy, like we said. Like he can see it, but he's so wrapped up in it that he he can't escape, despite trying or wanting to. You, and you don't know how programmed he might be as well. I mean, he's he's one of those really quick, quick people that it's sort of like wow, it's just never ending these these puns and this wit that just appears like in microseconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin Williams was another one. Mm-hmm. There's been a number of them, almost like superhuman comedic abilities. Yeah, yeah. So is that part of that programming or what? I don't know. Just spitballing. Could yeah. be MK Ultra stuff, you know. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. 
I think there's me... uh, oh, I... oh. Sorry, Sorry, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Oh, Go ahead, Ash. Ashley. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody at once, and then nobody. <laughs> uh, I actually forgot what I was gonna say. So, and it wasn't a big deal. Ando, uh, you go ahead. <laughs> uh, it. So he has a really weird ability to control every bit of his face, and that is uh, and so you mm. saw him pull a face yeah. earlier in the in in that thing, and you know that that's a real talent. You know, just to be able to to work every single wrinkle, every single muscle in your face in order to uh, portray whatever. And that's why whenever he did the Truman Show, because it wasn't a comedy um, and it was his first thing, not a comedy. He did so well. And and that's another reason why he's he was the highest paid actor for a while, because he just yeah, he he can do things that most people can't. It's really an uncanny ability. So that's, he, that's cool. He captured he, that. He talked about how he, as a kid would spend hours in front of the mirror making yeah. funny faces yep. at himself and practicing voices and characters. And, you know, it, I, you know, I think he's a genuinely incredibly talented actor, but, you know, we've kind of in the past talked about how actors in general are kind of suspect like they they are conveying a a false persona by nature professional pretenders yeah and let's yeah. not forget that um you know he didn't write these films he's just part of the you know part of the collection right. sort of thing you know part of the, probably you know partly the main character maybe part of it was written around him or for him specifically right that often happens but um yeah he's just playing his part of the script like literally so and you know I'm sure by now we all know who runs Hollywood and why. So it all fits. Well, let me let me play just another couple of minutes here, if I may, and uh, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap her up. And now here you are in the Truman Show, so different from anything anybody's ever done. I think people have this perception of you as just being the you know funny crazy. <laughs> Was it a difficult thing to get people to see you in in serious roles? Sylvia, hey! The Truman Show was a was a uh, another moment where you know I had to kind of deal with. Uh, well, you're not allowed to do that. Right away, people go funny, funny, funny. Guy. They think they know me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You get tired of it, though. I mean, if you go to a party, does everyone expect you to be the most outrageous person in the room? That's the game. I don't know why they're saying it's so different for Jim Carrey. <laughs> this would be different for anybody. Are you going to do more serious thing? Sure. Well, people have preconceived notions, but, uh, you know, I think I think it's whether you can do the job or not. It really comes down to that. If you had a day where nobody would recognize you. You know, you talk about, like, Jim Carrey the man, Jim Carrey the performer. I dropped the whole trying to be something for somebody a long time ago. Are you more comfortable as one or the other, or is that, like, are they even mutually exclusive? I've, I've examined myself on several occasions. I was a little kid. Why am I really doing this? Am I doing this because I want to be famous? What it was all about? Why are we here? What is this? 
exactly. Was. I don't like to sit down for long interviews. <laughs> right. I don't have any trouble being myself, and I don't have any trouble saying no when I mean no. Well, you might find out who I really am, and then it'll all be over. What's the real Jim Carrey like? I don't exist. You're all characters, including Jim Carrey. I'm losing control. You don't know the real me. And at a certain point, I realized it's so easy to lose Jim Carrey. Who the hell is Jim Carrey? There isn't a real you. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> Jim Carrey was a less uh, intentional character because I thought I was just building something that people would like. But it was a character. The obvious question here is not, I have to put on a serious tone now. So where are you in the middle of this? <laughs> Why am I so blessed? Why is my life so miraculous? I've had just endless gifts and they've all been things that I have at some point sat and, and made myself believe were possible. What is that power that allows me to do such magical things? Life is but a dream, you know. Roll the boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 dot, dot, dot. Life is but a dream, and that's really the truth of it. It is a dream, you know. If it, absolutely. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. It's as if some unseen force is working in my life, protecting me, guiding me, dancing right along with me. What we really want seems impossibly out of reach and ridiculous to expect, so we never dare to ask the universe for it. I guess there's no way to prove it. It's just a feeling I have that I'm not, not alone. I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I got to cut it off somewhere and. It's like, I want to believe Jim Carrey that merrily, 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 you know, just wish it and it'll be. But then I think about the poor folks hooked on fentanyl living in the fucking sewers. And it's not well, merrily, 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 merrily. Getting a drug addiction, and this is something I, I told to an ex that was addicted, is that it, it requires effort. It doesn't, you know... It, it doesn't it's not just like one time you're hooked it's you know two three four times it's you know it's not having days in between so i mean it's to me it's it's hard it's easy to feel bad for them and hard to feel bad for them at the same time because it you know eventually what happens to these people is they have to have it or they get sick and they don't get high anymore so you know that's that's the case for a a lot of the the sewer dwellers that we were seeing in the the previous video um just saying that it, you know it's it, it takes effort to get yourself that deep into a pit of despair which raises the question is there a point of no return i don't think there is ever a point of no return and you know it, everybody is capable of redemption it, even you know even the worst you know like uh even like if if you know epstein hadn't have uh been suicided like he could have he could have somehow redeemed himself he could have exposed this whole thing you know to the world and you know and done everything he could do to repent for it 
you know, everybody is capable of redemption. And that's, that's actually that I, I think that's one of the Christian lessons right there. And Oh, that's an incredible point. I have to say, because it's like, he was almost robbed of that opportunity, which makes you wonder about things like capital punishment and whether or not we have the right to rob someone of the opportunity for redemption. Exactly. I mean, that's playing God. That's why, that's why, like, I often push back on, on, on us, on the forum, when we are often kind of, in some ways, quick to condemn people as psyops, as controlled opposition, as this or that, like, because I, you know, far be it for us to judge, right? Like, we might not agree with everything that someone says. You know, Jim Carrey is not always right, but I would like to at least believe he is worthy of consideration and capable of redemption. And, you know, yeah, you, you I mean, could say that you could say that everywhere. for anyone. You could say that for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we we all know that, you know, everybody, everybody that's pushed on us right now, uh, especially, you know, like we just saw that that big uh twitter spaces thing where where it was you know elon and and uh alex jones and just the whole basically it was all of the actors and and that's what they are they're all actors and they are all playing a huge role in the way that everything's playing out but each one of those people has value and that's that's why we're interested we wouldn't be interested in them if they were just giving us nothing but garbage all the time yeah, exactly. There has to be a little bit of truth in every myth, or else it's just discarded immediately. I say, well said, fam. <laughs> I I don't have much else to add. You know, anybody else? Oh, I just remember that Satan masquerade masquerades as an angel of light. So, uh, it well, ideally. Ideally, we spend a little bit of time in peace and quiet and sort of let our minds Stella. flow and listen to the voice of God. It, yes. Does he masquerade as an angel of light or is he an angel of light? I believe that he is. And I, I, I think well, that, yeah. yes. and that, that that's, the, that's the whole thing is, is that things that delight us, you know, are, are, are often dangerous. The, the things that, that catch our eye. You know, earlier we were talking about the dopamine hits and everything like that. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to Las Vegas. And that is just a dopamine hit, like it just complete, you know, uh, dopamine on steroids. Of, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what it is. And that's what it's there for. And that's what you know, that the people that run that stuff are all built on manipulating this whole system, you know, that that's. You know, it, it's the biggest sucker scam that you'll ever see. But I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> well, you you know, you probably will because you're aware of it all. So that's, you know, your major steps ahead. Well, and I, I didn't play the part of the video, but um, with those sewer people in, in Vegas, the guy at one point, he says, like, a lot of us came here on vacation and basically got sucked into the whirlwind and never left yeah right and there's something about that by itself like oh man yeah vegas is like the extreme for america it's at least one of them it's uh 
It's not a place for the faint of heart. Yeah, well, there you got to sort of that. Does that bring us into another realm of you know frequencies and ley lines and all that kind of thing? You know, things beyond our capability to understand or control. Who knows what's going on in those towers? I mean, they're talking about the frequencies um, and what it can do to people, the patents, blah blah blah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all the stuff we've talked about a number of times. There's going to be epicenters where they're carrying out experiments, isn't there? Yep. And I was going to say bad vibes. I mean, that's what I was thinking this whole time when we were talking about some of the the darkness in Vegas. And I've been there several times. And maybe lucky me, I'm just such an anxious person. I do not get dopamine hits by being in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's going to surprise a, anybody here. <laughs> you're on a steady, steady supply of cortisol the whole time. Have you all been to just, just stressed, just stressed the fuck out? Yes, that would be, that the, would be me. Yeah. Have you been to the shitty cities in Nevada that, like, you know, like Laughlin, Carson City, um, you know, just the variety of of the the cities that are not Vegas. They're clearly not Vegas, so they don't get the the crazy amount of lights and glamour and stuff like that. It is old Vegas. And it is so awesome, like Mesquite, you know, like you, you go to a casino there, you know, there's uh, people are ashen on the floor and it's, it's like a dive bar. It's like Vegas dive bar action. And I, I really like that. Unfortunately, um, I'm going to uh, meet up with friends there. So I, you know, so I'm not going to be able to, to go to the shitty parts of Nevada. Um, Well, fun place though. The other thing, there is a lot of fun stuff about it, but I definitely felt the, I don't know what you want to say when I was there. I would even ask the drivers about it. I'd be like, so do you like living here? What is it like for you to live here? You know? Like oppression? Do you mean? No, like uh, just getting a ride around town. And I would ask the driver like, Oh, you're asking me the vibe that I got? Yeah. Do you mean like oppression? Is 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 that sort it was of what you're ba- feeling? It was or bad, what? bad energy. I don't know. It was just yeah. it's bad because the people are like because that's all the town is, is the is yeah. Las Vegas. And it's weird. It, and it's indulge your vice. Yes, I was yeah. just gonna say the energy that attracts people is that narcissism, the um dopamine hit, it's all he- very hedonism. Yes, that's, that's exactly it. Thank you. So dystopian about it. Even, you know, like I said, and I'm not I'm not shitting on it because I have gone to a lot of things out there and had a lot of good times and all of that. But I'm just saying there still is something, there's an energy, there's something to having your entire life revolve around this. Like mm-hmm. you're on, yep. you know, um, what are they, whatever they call the main, the strip in Vegas. Right. And it's just bumper to bumper to bumper, giant buildings, lights, glittering. Well, you, you, you may recall, you may recall the homeless man with the little puppy dog. Yeah. The the dog's name was Heathen. Yeah. Heathen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Heathen. Heathen. Heathen it was. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, they don't call it sin city for nothing. That's, that's another good point that i can bring out of there i mean it's yeah it's it's a shithole and uh and i you know i i was talking about my uh addict ex and uh 
I went through Vegas with her one time and she needed to, uh, to score some of the stuff that, you know, that made her feel better. And that was sketchy as hell. Like basically what, what you do and, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not giving advice here. Don't do this, but the place to find it is, is at the missions. Like you'll find the, the people that are all strung out there and they know where the plug is and, you know, and then you end up meeting shady characters and hope that your ex doesn't get ripped off and, you know, hope that you don't have to jump out of the car and, and stab some guy, you know, always mean, fun. Yep. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the middle class of America has the hangover Hollywood view of Vegas where they think, oh, I'm just going to go there and get fucked up and all my wildest dreams will come true. Mm. Meanwhile, uh, a lot of those people end up living in the sewer six months later because they lost all their money gambling. They got hooked on crack. You know, it's like, yeah, not as fun as the hangover movie made it look. Yes. So that's definitely not advice from Doc Door Ando. Right. He's literally <laughs> Doc Door. Yeah. Well, it is at funny, the doctor. Though, that, <laughs> yeah. it is Trust me, I'm a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the place to find the shit is the mission. And that's really funny, sad. You know, it's like that because, you know, somebody is out there, like they're trying to do good works and, and help people. And, you know, and that's where you find and it the becomes the, need the most help. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Great inversion. It's within everything. Yeah. Isn't that's funny. It? You said outlet. Uh, the person that deals is called the plug. That's the street lingo for it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to find the plug, you find an outlet. So you find the the, the people that, huh. you know, that need to be plugged in and that's, and they'll lead you in the right direction. And is that what that's know, from? They, well, I mean, that, that's, that's what I learned mm-hmm. being involved in that, that shady life, by the way, I, I don't know if y'all heard the, I, I know y'all listened to the episode I did with Jen, but where I told this whole story, but it's, uh, I wasn't doing it. I was just helping her. She was like, no way. Don't get involved in this shit. Cause it'll ruin your life. You know? So, um, and you know, I get to, I get to be free mm-hmm. every day. Well, supposedly yeah. free while, you know, she's got, you know, three hots and a cot. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that, glad, that's glad you, that's where glad you, yeah, that takes you. So don't, you know, don't glad you that lifestyle. Glad you didn't <laughs> fall down that rabbit hole, Ando. There's plenty better rabbit holes than than all that Me shit. Too. Yeah, and when we were just talking just then about the plug and everything, I just had that flash of Elon Musk walking into the office with the basin. It's like we didn't quite figure out what that was about. Oh, like, the oh, let that sink plug. in. He's the was... basin. Yeah, mm, I don't know. I'm going to plug you all it, into he X. Was trying to do the dumbest let that sink in joke. It was, was it just like a it, dad joke? It's not, it's not even that. It's worse. worse. He's, yeah, he's got problems with this whole image thing because he, you know, he wants to be portrayed as cool or, or at least hip to the internet. And he's just such a a dork. He's such a dork that he can't pull it off. Um, it'll, it'll be funny. You know, like I know everybody's singing his praises right now. Oh, Hey, we finally got free speech. We didn't get shit. Nah. We didn't get shit. He just That's went over and, like, and kissed the wall and, and got whipped by his masters for doing all the stuff he did. You know, he did exactly I mean, what they wanted him to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he's, he's never going to take those dog tags off. He says, you know, Well, and you, you brought up that, that Twitter space with all the actors and it was so funny to listen to them all kiss Elon's ass. They were all sucking his dick. They all Elon. Oh, we're so grateful for you. Oh, mighty powerful X. We, we, we value your, your guidance. Oh, leader. I mean, that's what, that's what it felt like. Even, even fucking Alex Jones was sucking the dick. Well, isn't it interesting? Cause X marks the spot and it's the mark of the beast. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Just saying. Uh, I like the, cool. the thing where somebody points out that it's a, 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 uh, zoomed in version of a uh of the uh the compass that the freemasons use mm, yeah exactly yeah so uh always fun, so and so, as so many logos are so many logos mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean like why do you think you got that g on your gmail yeah oh that's a whole other show <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm thinking so maybe uh maybe we should maybe we should wrap this one up what do y'all think yeah. About that so time. Is this, All right. the, is, is this the last one? Of well, yeah. So, yeah, on that note, we are going to take a little break for the holidays. Uh, the next two Sundays are Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. So uh, don't expect anything new from the WTF forum, but you you might expect something. I'm working on something. So, uh, Mike. Mm, wonder what yeah. that could be you're a fucking hero uh, for for <laughs> doing that yep i got a little more work to do but uh i think we'll have something worth putting out two sundays in a row that won't require any live interaction so it'll be fun it'll be funny and uh it might be halfway uh illuminating just to see how far we've come you know and i'll leave it at that all righty Oh well, hell yeah! I, love it. I guess, I guess let's uh, send it around the horn. Uh, my name is Mike the Polymath, Easy Peasy Podcast. You can find all of my shit at easypeasy.ittybitty.tips, and I will pass it to Stella Q. Yeah, um, thanks a lot for having me. Thanks everyone for being here and commenting and listening in the future. <laughs> Stella Q from Union of the Unknowns where you, we can be found, I will let my pod mate, Ashley, fill you in on those details. In fact, how about you go next? Where can we be found, Ashley? Well, Stella, I'm glad you asked. You can find us at unionoftheunknowns.com. That's our Linktree page with all the myriad ways to get in touch with us. And you can find me running the Unknowns Twitter page over on Twitter at unionunknowns. And Beautiful. And yeah, I'm Ando and you can find my stuff. Uh, mainly you're going to find the forum whenever you go to burn Babylon on burn in your podcatcher, but uh, you can find everything at libertylinks.io slash the doom kitchen or send me an email. Talk about stuff. Uh, the doom kitchen at protonmail.com. Oh yeah. Thanks for yeah. this. Stella. This rocks. Happy it new does year. Rock. It Merry Christmas. Rock. Oh, yeah. Christmas, everybody. Love your guts, everyone. Yeah. Take care. Until next year. Till next year. Thanks for listening, Tommy y'all. Kitten.
Call that call a booty tent. I love that cat. Ooh.